North-South Connection Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Multiverse of Fabulous. That's right. We're striking out the names from it. We're just going to call it the Multiverse of Fabulousness because this show, much like the Multiverse, belongs to everyone. But I am Johnny C. I am going to be your host this week. And it's episode 11, which is so fitting because 11 is synonymous with WrestleMania 11. Duh. Does anyone else say 11 think of anything else? It's like there's any sort of major characters in fiction named 11. But we're in 1995 this year, the year of WrestleMania 11. But because the assignment involves coming to my house, I've got to come to your house. And you're being Mr. Dave Hall. Dave, from across the fucking planet, welcome to the Multiverse of Fabulousness. Oh, thank you so much, Johnny. I've, I've stepped through the portal, the... The, uh, the, the, the temporal vortex has, has picked me up and transported me into the multiverse, and I'm very, very excited to join you today. Well, we're heading to a universe that is very volatile. It's going to be Earth-95, like I mentioned, and gosh almighty, Dave, I don't know about you, but like I started watching wrestling in 89, and I don't watch a ton now. I certainly take a look at the pay-per-views, and I'm at least reading results, but 1995 is the one year I never purchase or I never forced my parents to purchase a pay-per-view after that Survivor Series 94 I was like fuck it I'm out they they I burned the bridge and didn't come back until Rumble 96 what's your experience with 95 and what was the availability because you're coming to us uh from well I would guess I would stereotypically say down under and I hate to do that but I don't have a better joke <laughs> that's okay um so I've shared this on a couple of other podcasts. If anyone's if anyone's ever heard a podcast that I've been on, you might have heard these stories. But down here in Australia in 1995, in the in the in the early 90s in general, um, wrestling really wasn't readily available on, uh, especially on television. Um, in the late 80s, we got superstars on a weekly basis, three months after it aired in the US. Uh, but by about 1990, late 1990, that stopped. And so the only access we had to um, to any wrestling was was the videos, videotapes. And so I would go to the, the local VHS store almost weekly, waiting for the next one to come out, waiting for the next one to come out. But I've I got to admit, a little bit like you, 1995 became a little bit of a, a temporary gap in my year. I got... Um, I got burned a little bit. Bret Hart was my guy, so very similar sort of coming out of of um, Survivor Series. I, I was a little bit burned by what had happened, and Diesel as champion never really took my fancy. And so I remember after WrestleMania, it, it, it really was these in your houses. These were things that I probably didn't grab for probably 12 months. It, it probably wasn't until Bret had won the title back that I sort of went back and got these videos out and and caught myself up. So it wasn't the biggest gap in time, but um, yeah, at this time period as well, my family, we moved house, so we moved to a new area. So there were a lot of changes going on for my family, and, and that probably tied into it as well, that you were dealing with changes of school, changes of scenarios and stuff like that. And, and I had to get my head around that before I got myself back onto the wrestling side of things. Well, that's a, I mean, that is a, that's a big shift in a young person's life. I mean, absolutely. I don't think that can be trivialized. It's, uh, it's interesting. You talk about catching up on the tapes. It's like 95. 
Um, I did the same. Uh, of course, we didn't have the delay, but there was still like at least like maybe a two or three month delay. Like I, I was just pondering the other day. I pulled up Disney Plus to watch Obi-Wan and I'm like, Multiverse of Madness already. I just did a report for that on NOSO like last month. And here it is already available for free. Well, not free, but you know what I'm saying. So the turnaround is insane. The um, the one thing I will say about 1995 in general, or I guess specific to me, I don't know why I said in general. I guess it's just an old habit. Um. When they announced what we're covering tonight, the very first in your house, I my interest peaked a little bit, not enough to purchase, but I was like, "What is this? A new pay per view?" And then the next uh, in July, when they announced the next in your house, the person, the part of my brain that was like, "Oh my god, it's a good thing I stopped watching because how the hell would I organize my wrestling tapes? Because these things are just called in your house. How do I keep it straight?" It really pissed me off that they created a new pay-per-view and just reused the name every month. And it wasn't until 96 they started giving out the subtitles. But I, I was like, what is this? Now we have six pay-per-views? I had no idea that it would become a monthly thing. Yeah, it, it certainly, uh, it, those early tapes, it made it, it made it difficult because I remember when I went back to, to, to grab them and hire them out, it was like, which, which order do I watch these in? There's in your house, there's in your house. And, Really had to sort of look at the back and, and it was only that, you know, I was enough of a fan to know where certain parts of the, the, the championship reigns were is probably, you know, where, where Michaels was sitting or where Brett was sitting or where the tag titles were sitting. That I was able to piece it together. Okay. This is first. That one's second. That one's third. But even down here in Australia, we didn't get all of the, you know, we got the first two, but I'm, I'm pretty certain. The third and the fourth ones, we we never got those um, released down here. So they were ones that I never really saw um, until they brought out some of the highlight. You know, I think they brought out some of the highlight comp ones um, in in late '95 or early '96. So even then, we didn't even get a lot of the the newer ones that were coming out. I'm not sure why the WWF didn't want to release them down here. Well, the, it's funny too because you would think that would be. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to be in charge of logistics, but we're speaking the same language, meaning they don't need to put together a special presentation for your area. You know what I mean? So you would think it would be a natural, okay, we're at least going to get this to the U.K. and Australia or anywhere else they speak English. You know, we might not get it into Russia. Maybe we don't have a Russia dub, Russian dub team. But, you know, you would think, let's sell it. Absolutely. Um, I, do have, I do have one quick question I want to ask you about – your homeland before we get into this, because I'll I'll punch myself if I don't, is there were two specific movies in my life that made me think that Sydney, Australia was the most beautiful city on the planet. That being The Matrix and John Woo's seminal classic Mission Impossible 2, both famously filmed in Sydney. Have you been there and is it that nice? Well, I, I grew up in Sydney. Um, okay. I, actually, I live... I live 45 minutes north of Sydney now, but um, my whole life I've, I've lived in Sydney. Uh, it is it is a beautiful city. I'm down there quite regularly. Um, the the Sydney Harbour, which is very iconic, and the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, it's an iconic um, it's an iconic view, and it is it is a really nice, beautiful city. Lots of friendly people. If you, anyone anyone's listening ever wants to jump on a plane and come down to Australia, I will meet you at the airport. And I'll give you a tour because it is a great great place to come and visit. And it is honestly, it is it is a pleasure to be able to live in a place that is so beautiful. 
That's awesome. That is, that's actually kind of cool to hear someone actually say about their location. Uh, is there still an active studio? Because I think it was Fox Studio Sydney, maybe. I might be talking out of my ass, but it would make sense given that the Fox owner was from Australia. I don't know if it's still active, but they, they, they made a ton of movies there at the turn of the century. Um, yeah, in Sydney. yeah. Fox Fox Studios is is where it was based. Obviously, the pandemic put a halt to um to a few things, but you know some great, you know you mentioned a couple of ones other some other great movies that were filmed down here. Star Wars Episode two and three were both filmed down here at Fox Studios Australia. In fact, for all the all you um, big nerdies nerdy fans like me out there. Um, my biggest claim to fame is that my lovely and amazing wife was actually an extra in Star Wars Episode 2 and was actually mistaken to be um, the, the people that she was working with thought that she was there to be a double for Natalie Portman. Oh, so, okay. um, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, <laughs> pause. Now, obviously, we knew that these were filmed in Australia because we got Tamara Morrison, Joel Edgerton, Bonnie Chris. I, I think that's how you say her last name. All these people that became like Uncle Owen, Amberu, Django Fett, Boba Fett, you know, uh, being from New Zealand or Australia famously because they have trouble hiding their accents. But they've also become uh, back in the cultural zeitgeist because of like Mandalorian, Boba Fett and Obi-Wan. What scene? Because I know him back and forth, you have got to tell me what scene she's in and what so, color outfit she's wearing or something. So she's she's in two scenes. Um, she's in the scene where Anakin Skywalker, I uh, sorry, where where the the speeder crashes at the front of the um the the, the bar when they're chasing the the bounty hunter, okay. and uh, she's in the crowd as the as the 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 speeder comes in to crash. So she's in the crowd there. We can't you can't really make her out. She's just in sort of those those very plain raggy sort of looking looks but she's also in the in the bar scene um when obi-wan and anakin walk into the bar and walk down the steps you actually have a character a, a, a presence walk across from one side of the screen to the other behind them with a little bit of a tall headdress on um and that's my wife is this before he touches the guy that played Jar Jar, Jar, Jar Binks on the on the arm and like gets his attention? That's a real deep cut. You may not know that because <laughs> um, Ahmed Best is in the scene as himself, like and Anakin kind of hits him up, taps him on the shoulder as he walks by, and then he kind of I don't know. It's literally as they're walking down the steps towards the bar. Okay. So yeah, so did when you she, get that back shot from it, did she buy any death sticks? <laughs> I um we we were dating at the time, so um I, I made it very clear to her that, that participating in death sticks would not be good for her health. <laughs> I love it. That dude, like I'm I'm blown away. That's amazing. That's like the fa my favorite thing I've learned in quite some time. And I appreciate so, you for sharing it. No worries. But getting back to getting back to the story, but where I was coming to is obviously we did a lot of stuff there. The pandemic shut down everything temporarily, but everything is back up and running. In fact, Shang Chi was filmed down here in Sydney. So I'm kidding. so um Shang-Chi and the and 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 the Five Rings that was um that was a, a Sydney production as well. Hell yes. Well, it always stands out and on Thor, film. And Thor um Thor the the new Thor film about to be Lo released is also down here. Love and Thunder. Absolutely, yeah. which I believe I will be reviewing for the North South Connection Podcast Network, so stay in tune for that one. Although this might come out after that. Time is a finicky thing. And speaking of time, it's time to step in the portal to May 14th, 1995. What we do here on the Multiverse of Fabulousness is we try to find 
pay-per-view or wrestling card variants out there in the multiverse. So what's happened today is Dave and I have both prepared a rebooking of the very first In Your House show. Now, as we always do, we laid out a couple of ground rules we had to follow. Pretty simple this go-around. The original card has six matches. We each have six matches. We're not allowed to alter reality in a sense that we can't suddenly be like, and then during the main event, Hulk Hogan runs out and wins the title because that's that's not reality. We could certainly change stories. That's obviously what we're here to do, but we can't change reality like that. We have to use the actual roster in place, and we can't step out of the timeline. The example I gave Dave was, well, we can't book an Inferno match because they haven't had an Inferno match yet. You know, that just wouldn't make any sense. And other than that, we're good to go. So it's May 14th, 1995 in Syracuse, New York, which I believe is the home of at least nine thugs, but more to be determined. Famously, someone's going to win a house. And Dave, since it's your first time on the show, if you'd like to, I would love to hear what you have set for your opening match. No worries. Well, I um, before before we delve too deep into it, one of one of the one of the biggest things about preparing this card and trying to work out this card is is Clearly, what I felt was an imbalance in the roster. Um, there's, there is a, if you, if you know this time period quite well, there's a lot of frustration with this time period. And I think a lot of it stems from what I feel is a bit of an imbalance. There's a, a multitude of baby faces and a lack of heels. Oh, absolutely. So it became, a, it became a little bit hard to, to do some of that, but, but my first match is is a match where I think there is a heel on the roster that needed a massive showcase, and and that's Hakushi. Um, in the in the in the actual event that took place, they they basically pitted Hakushi against Bret Hart in in Hakushi's first ever pay per view appearance. They've got him losing to the Hitman because you can't have the Hitman lose to a, a, a an underneath mid-card or lower mid-card guys. So I always felt that was a waste of Hakushi. So my first match is Hakushi versus Bob Holly, um, only because the one two three kid was out injured at this time, injured himself um, just around that WrestleMania time period. So because the one two three kid is out hurt, I've put Hakushi versus Bob Holly, and this is really a showcase match for Hakushi. We want, we want to get him over big time. We want to allow him to do all his massive moves, Bob Holly can take a loss. He can he can he can look at the lights for a while because no one gives us no one gives a rat's ass about him. So um, Hakushi's going to come out, um, yeah, maybe a little bit even early on, but really Hakushi's going to going to bring bring everything to the table. He's going to wow the fans. He's going to give the fans that desire to see him in more matches moving forward this year. And and so we're going to get a big showcase win for Hakushi over Big Ho- Bob Holly in the opening match of the night. I mean, I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. I mean, I I don't know if you did. I I rewatched most of the In Your House show, and that match is really good. But what I noticed about it was that Hakushi is, you know, that he comes out and they call him the undefeated Hakushi. And it's like he does just eat a pinfall with a wrestling move in the center of the ring. No shenanigans or anything like that. So I guess that's good for the purists of it. But Hakushi, DOA afterwards. Yeah, and I think I think that that loss was a part of it. Like he 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 appears at, at SummerSlam. He appears he, he's sort of in and around, but they they've got this big build. He's undefeated going into this match, and then he's just he loses to Bret Hart, and they've got nothing they can do with him. But if they had 
with, with the dearth of talent that was around, if they built up around him temporarily, he could have been um, he could have been a really viable intercontinental challenger, especially later in the year when everything just result, revolved around Sean and Razor and and you know we had sort of Dean Douglas thrown in here and yeah, there really wasn't much to the IC challenger side of things at the back end of the year. Hakushi would have been a good guy to. Have a, imagine a match, Hakushi versus Shawn Michaels for the IC title, or Hakushi versus Razor. He really could have been built to be a genuine intercontinental challenger that would have made a, a really enjoyable match. And then, yeah, you, you, he starts to lose out. And maybe he disappears later on, but he was one of the most underutilized guys ever. I actually saw the way he came in and, and the moveset he had, it, it, it very much, I likened him very much to Great Muda's run with um, NWA, WCW in early 1989. And you look at how well they built Muda up there and made him into this top guy for in that 12-month stretch. They could have done the same thing with Hakushi, and they needed it with, as I've said, such an imbalance of baby faces and heels in 1995. Well, I mean, you've sold you sold me completely, and it's funny you you talk about his entrance and his presentation. You know, I didn't I knew that I wanted to use Haku, Hakushi. I mean, obviously, he's this is if nothing else, I honestly think Brett Hakushi is what this show is known for. That and Todd Pettengill's mullet. Okay, but <laughs> I mean, I really do think that that's it. So I knew I wanted to do something with Hakushi, and when I saw him come down the aisle, I was like, I've got it. And we'll get to that later, but because it just comes later on my card. But I love it, and I love. Using Bob, your idea of using Bob Holly as the, uh, the, you know, the victim, uh, because I also have a match later that I want to put over a heel huge, and Bob Holly's my victim. Because what are you going to do? It's Bob Holly. Well, yeah, and as I said, the the better match would have been Hakushi versus One Two Three Kid. But I think if you build Hakushi up, that's a match you could do it in your house too, or or SummerSlam, that and that would be an amazing match. So I think. Here you want a, 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 a guy who can, who can take the loss and, and allow that build to happen so that you can use that bigger match with someone like Kid later in the year. Right. Absolutely. And, of course, I think they do fight. Do they fight at SummerSlam, but it's only like four minutes or something like that? It's like very – no, Hakushi fights – I can't recall. I think it's Janetti, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um Gosh, I'm thinking now I'm getting all my short one, two, three kid matches confused because he's got, you know, historically like crazy matches that you wouldn't expect to see on like Action Zone and stuff like that. But I think I'm thinking of Owen and one, two, three kid at King of the Ring. They say it's like the best four minute match in history. Because, you know, it's like four minutes, but it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, look, it is. It, 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 they do some amazing matches. I mean, at, um, at SummerSlam, it is Hakushi and the one, two, three kid, and Hakushi gets the win. So we get that with that result, but I would I would sort of suggest that perhaps it might have been received better and maybe been more memorable if Hakushi carries that undefeated streak through to SummerSlam, and you know then it becomes a, a bigger deal when he wins that because it could push him into title contention. Right, and they also, I think that's right when the kid, no, the kid doesn't turn heel till Survivor Series, never mind. I was going to say, you could use, you could transition that into a kid victory if you had to, to put over his heel persona, but I don't, you know, that's obviously not the case. But, yeah, it, it's just, 
the ball is completely dropped on Hakushi, and it's too bad because his presentation is top notch. Absolutely. Well, I'm kind of like you in a sense that I wanted my opener to mean something in this fictional 1995 moving forward, but I also wanted it to mean something to the narrative of the In Your House as a brand, which I know sounds silly, but you know it's the first new pay per view. Uh, it's a new pay per view, new concept. Here's the very first match, and for me. It's for the Intercontinental Championship, and Jeff Jarrett defends against the the actual opener, Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, uh, I do imagine Brett defeating Jeff here to become the Intercontinental Champion. Now, 1995 opening with Brett is never a bad idea, and I don't really think that Jeff Jarrett needs this title. We all know he'll be gone in July anyway, and unfortunately uh, – Brett spends – now everybody knows I'm not the huge, a massive Bret Hart fan. I respect it, of course. But if Brett's going to feud with mid-card guys anyway, why not imagine all of those mid-card matches against, like, uh, Carl Lett and other people I can't recall off the top of my head. Imagine those all being intercontinental title defenses, and maybe he walks into the Survivor Series champion versus champion title for title. I mean, these guys were practically this year's version of Warrior and Hogan Anyway, I mean, I'm not comparing them, but if you look at it in universe on brand, they kind of are. Uh, you know, I guess you could argue Shawn Michaels, you know, maybe in D's or Shawn and Brett, but we get to that at WrestleMania. Now, I'm not saying it has to go that way, but I think Bret Hart recovering from the awful WrestleMania 11 match with Backlund, putting gold back on his shoulder or around his waist, whatever you want to have it, is a good call. Um, he's being demoted anyway. So if you put the gold on him, at least the Intercontinental title starts to mean something. Who's going to get it off Brett? You know, he's the, the fighting champion, the people's champion. Maybe Diesel's like, hey, I thought I was the champion. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not a booker. But that was my opener. Yeah, look, I, I, I can certainly see the merit in, um, in Bret Hart, in, in bringing more meaning to Bret Hart's 1995 matches against guys, like you said, like Carl Ouellette and... Um, you know, uh, you know, all these undercard guys, Hakushi and stuff, by putting the IC belt on him. And, and I just, I've just got through talking about the build to Hakushi. And imagine then if later in the year, Bret Hart as IC champion is facing an undefeated Hakushi. That becomes a much more meaningful match. So I can certainly see the benefits of putting the, the IC title back on Bret. Um, it is a massive demotion, as you said. And um, we never got the Brett Jarrett match on any major scale in the WWF. And, and obviously that was a big key. Like Jarrett's arrival in the WWF was all around the initial sort of arrival was all around when Brett was doing his defending the title against anyone, anyone. And it was all a, a, an incident in Memphis where Brett WWF are performing in, in Memphis and Brett's defending the title and Jarrett was in the crowd and made the challenge to, Brett to give him a shot next time they're in town. And that was sort of the first inkling that you got through things like PWI and all that, that there was a connection between WWF and Memphis now. And it was sort of the precursor to Jared entering the company. So you never got that, that payoff on any major scale. So this almost becomes the payoff. Jared now is champion. Brett may be coming back and saying, I, you know, you wanted a shot at me, I want a shot at you. Um, 
Personally, I'm probably not the biggest. I'm not the biggest fan of probably putting the title, the, the IC title, back on Brett. I think it he was probably beyond it and didn't need it. Um, and maybe you could do that match and have some sort of, um, you know, bad ending. Maybe the roadie interferes and 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 Jarrett gets away with the belt, like by DQ or Cal. Brett's got him absolutely beat, but. Jared ends up coming away with the belt still. I think, you know, there's ways you could work that match and not have Brett come away with the title. So I just don't think he needed it. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's it's crazy to be talked out of my own idea, but you have done that. And I, I, I thought about that myself. I guess my Achilles heel in this was I wanted him to open and I wanted it to sell the concept like oh yeah anything can happen not wow (laughs) not to sell that per se but i mean looking at it from perspective of we're trying to you know create a product here in i wanted the brand equity and in your house to raise but you're right uh brett is probably way beyond that it's interesting because i at the time maybe i sort of fell backwards into my old uh sort of youth perspective of a title was a title um but we know better than that um Unless you're John Cena, because I think he's the only guy that came back and did a mid-card championship without feeling debated. If anything else, it made the U.S. title feel more than whatever show championship was above them. You know what I mean? I think it's the only time in the past 10, 20 years that the U.S. title did mean anything is when is when we had the uh, the the John Cena U.S. title challenge. I think that's the only time. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look and. And like getting back to that, you know, you could you could even do like to make it mean something or anything could happen. You could even have the whole, you can do the I hate this angle or the, when they do this in matches, but you could even have the whole Bret Hart seemingly wins the belt, but mm. then the second referee comes out and and in fact Jarrett is disqualified for something earlier in the match because the roadie interfered or you know the roadie KOs the first referee or something like that. So you get that shenanigan where Brett looks to have won the title that that anything can happen moment but then because we don't want Brett to run with the belt we we reverse the decision we 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 disqualify um Jarrett instead and 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 so Jarrett keeps the title. Sure. And then you could also use that as an excuse to run these guys on house shows, maybe in like two on one matches or like mm-hmm. a cage or something like that, where the belt's not even the part of it. It's just I want revenge on Jeff Jarrett, you know, that's, whatever. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you want to we probably should talk about this at a time. Do you want to do snake style or do you want to go first again? Uh, whatever totally works your best for you. Whatever works best for you. Well, why don't we do? Yeah, let's just go ahead and do yours next. I think that'll work. I mean, hey, it's all good. All right. Well, I um I probably took a little bit of a leaf out of your book. There, there are, I, I took the attitude in building this card that there were certain people that I believed needed to be on the card, mm-hmm. and so as I built the card, I, I I I had certain matches that I felt needed to happen or I wanted to have happen, and certain wrestlers that needed to be showcased on the card, and then it left me with, well, where do we finish up and how do we match him up? And so my second match involves Jeff Jarrett, but I've put him in a tag team match with the roadie. And instead of, in the original card, he was, they were supposed to wrestle Razor and one, two, three, kid, but kid's injury prevented that. I've got other plans for Razor. So I've decided that Jeff Jarrett and the roadie are going to face the newly minted team coming out of WrestleMania of Lex Luger and Davey Boy Smith, the Allied Powers. 
Nice. So my, my functioning of this match is, is twofold. Number one, I believe I wanted the Allied Powers on the card, having just sort of been showcased at WrestleMania in their debut. They're who, they're who we're going to be building as a tag team, so we need them on the card. But I didn't want them wrestling for the titles yet. I, I, I initially put them in a title match with Owen and Yoko, but then I thought to myself, no, no, I don't want that happening yet. I need to put them somewhere else. And I had this spot where I really couldn't come up with a good intercontinental title match for Jarrett. That was, that was my other dilemma. And so I thought, well, if I put Jarrett in the roadie against the Allied Powers, we've got four strong talents on the card. It allows us to showcase the Allied Powers. The Allied Powers are going to get the win. They're going to, they're going to beat the roadie, they're going to pin the roadie, which allows you to start to build the tension between roadie and Jarrett moving forward, because that was the plan. They were going to build that tension, and the roadie was the one who was singing for Jarrett, and that was that was their longer-term plan. So I think that allows you to start that storyline. Um, it protects Jarrett from losing, and he's the IC champ, so we don't want that to... We don't want him beaten in ring. So by having roadie take the pin, he's there... Um, he can lose to either Luger or Davy Boy. It doesn't matter. But then it also allows you, because Luger and Davy Boy are both prominent guys in their own right, it allows you to maybe over the next few weeks on on Raw, Jarrett can face Luger and then Davy Boy in IC title matches on television. So it allows that that title to still get a little bit of elevation but there'd be no pressure to have Davy Boy or Luger win because now they're a tag team. So that, that's sort of the rationale for how I've come up with this. I think it's just going to be a standard tag match. Um, you know, Allied Powers, as I said, get the win. I'm picturing probably Davy Boy hitting the running power slam on Rody or something like that. But, um, yeah, pretty standard match, but it gets, it gets them on the card in a showcase way and the Allied Powers continue their, their rise up the tag team ranks. I love it. It's it's so strange to me that the powers are not on this original card. Like, I don't understand it at all, uh, especially when you consider how limited the show actually is. Um, and I this match pops to me as like a, um, you know, like the Owen Hart and Blue Blazer at WrestleMania five. It's like it kind of feels like get every, it kind of feels like it's just uh, we're putting these guys together because we know it'll be a entertaining thing to watch but you know it'll absolutely deliver as not the focal point of the show but something that people will remember it it feels it has like a great house show feel to it because these guys can do ridiculous like you know the roadie and Jarrett are these types of characters that lend themselves to playing well off especially two guys across the ring who are huge you know um miscommunication spots fun pop the kids it's 95 there's a lot of kids in the crowd i love it i think it's great but I also like the storyline implications moving forward from a business perspective. It makes sense. But the nice side effect of it being on this 1995 card is that it's extremely enjoyable and digestible to our audience. It goes down smooth, you know. Yeah, and I think, like you said, we're, 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 this first in your house, it wasn't about every title being defended. It, it really did seem to be about getting some of these guys on the card and, and just putting something that's – this wasn't a focal point pay-per-view yet. These were – these were stop gaps on the way to the ne- the next big event, the King of the Ring, the SummerSlam, the Survivor Series. These were stop gap storyline fillers, and so that's that's why I think you need a, you need a match like that where 
you know, they're not they're not showcasing that IC title, but you're allowing storylines to begin to develop and grow. Well, we see this in the modern age, and I'm not going to sit here and claim to be any sort of AEW expert, but I know they have episodes of Dynamite that have like subtitle names like Road Rage and I'm that's I Fighter Fest, uh, stuff like that. Those to me are like uh, now obviously the in ring quality is you know second to none when it comes to in your houses, but I think that's sort of your modern-day version of an in-your-house. Um, and we've even seen it this year, strangely, in pay-per-view land and WWE. The last two pay-per-views have been in-your-houses. I, I did the pre-show with Ryan for Hell in a Cell, and I, I kept saying to him, this feels like in-your-house cold day in hell. Like, the main event sounds fun, but everything else makes me want to not watch, you know? <laughs> um, so it, it exists today. It, it kind of feels like Raw, um, I don't know. That that thought that wasn't going to go anywhere, so I'm stopping it. But I love it. I love that that interpretation of in your house, especially in the early year stages. All right, let's see here. Let me pull up my notes. All right, and it's 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 great. I love that you mentioned King of the Ring because my second match going down this card. There's some on camera and off camera because there's some Coliseum matches. King of the Ring qualifiers, and I was like, well, I'm going to see if I can do their King of the Ring qualifier better, and. Uh, uh, in, in this universe, I'm replacing Mabel with the winner of this match. And, of course, the opponent is Start Your Engines, Bob Holly. He's going to be absolutely destroyed by this man who comes down the aisle with Jim Cornette, Adam Baum. Now, look, I know. <laughs> One half of Chronic, Adam Baum, is here, and he's going to be given the Mabel push in the King of the Ring. Well, look, I watch a lot of 2000 WCW, and Adam Bob is a better competitor than uh, Mabel, okay? Is this better? I don't know. But in keeping with the spirit of 95 and them not knowing who to challenge Diesel, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, well, that, you know, there's a, a ton of things you could have done better. And, yes, I'm with you. I believe that they can do no better. They can't get their head out of their own ass to see that. So we're going to push Adam Baum in this alternate 95, but he's getting a bit of an image revamp. I mean, if he is truly an Adam Baum, he needs to look more like he's coming. Like he needs to look like the leader of a gang from like Mad Max Fury Road to use to go back to the, the good down end. All right. He needs to be the king of he needs to look like Immortan Joe or something like that. If you're familiar with Mad Max Fury Road, um, just give him this apocalyptic outfit and make him destroy people with the power bomb in six seconds. And if you're going to push a random heel out of nowhere in the King of the Ring, better than Mabel. And I won't sell it anymore because I know it's not great. But I'm curious, your thoughts. You know, I actually actually don't mind that idea. I love, I always thought, I mean, they brought Adam Bomb in. They had this, there was this, there's a lot of sort of hype around him. And then he never really got used properly. Now, I get that that um, that Brian um, Brian Clark is not the greatest in ring worker, right. but but to take a to take a leaf out of Paul Heyman's booking philosophy, you accentuate the strengths and you hide the weaknesses. He had a great look. He could hit a couple of big power moves that would look fantastic. And if you do what you just did there, this this short squash. Adam Bomb just gets that big, quick win. He's going to look good. He's going to look impressive, and and it and it certainly has a bigger impact. Um, 
it's certainly something that would be be able to be built upon. Whether whether you can take it all the way and and, and give him the King of the Ring and put him in a in a in a title match, I, I don't know whether I'd be willing to go that far down the track. But certainly for an in your house King of the Ring qualifier, I think it's a very good idea, a very good plan. And what I love more is that you've put him with Jim Cornette. That gives him legitimacy. That makes him feel like a legitimate threat to anything because by this point, Jim Cornette had only ever uh, had only ever re- managed people who were seen as as threats. He brought the heavenly bodies in who had that great match with the Steiners. Then he was linked with Yokozuna. Then then now he's linked with Yokozuna and Owen Hart. He he has this air of this guy manages people who who are at the top end of the card. He only and, manages uh, champions. Yeah, and so I think it it gives Adam Bomb a bit more credibility as a as a person as opposed to being managed by. Harvey Whippleman, yes. so who who was nothing but a dud. No, I mean he was never anything but a, an undercard manager. So I do like it. I like that you, by keeping it short, it it allows um it allows Adam Bomb's deficiencies in the ring to be hidden. You can allow Jim Cornette to talk him up. He can do a pre-match promo or a post-match promo where he can just talk about how you know, I told you, you know. He's gonna. He's this is this guy's gonna go out there. He's gonna explode like a bomb. He goes out there, wins quick, and on the way out, Cornet can be in front of the camera going, "I told you this was gonna happen. Look how great he is. No one's gonna stop him." If they even wanted to get real crazy, I had a gag. Not a gag. I don't mean to say. I don't think it was funny, but I was gonna incorporate some shtick where after the match, maybe he indeed, because ECW is a thing at this point, maybe Adam Baum is the one guy that you allow on special occasions to power bomb someone through a table, and that is the Adam Baum. It's the punishment that he gives. And Federation President Monsoon can't do anything about it because technically the match is over. It's, you know, it's, it's 1995, all right? The kids will believe it. I, but, you know, it's not important to the match, but I think you could do it. I think at the end of the day, if they gave him the Mabel push, it's got to be better than Mabel, right? Oh, anything's better than Mabel. Oh, man, I hope so. I I don't want to let the fans of the multiverse down. (laughs) Well, I think that would take us then to the third match, so sort of your halfway moment. What are we selling to the Kidsters? Okay, so my third match on the card is, again, this is building out of what's been happening coming out of, of WrestleMania, and um, I've 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 decided this is where we need to showcase Bam Bam Bigelow. Now we all know coming out of out of WrestleMania, Bigelow had his falling out with with the corporation um, after losing to Lawrence Taylor. He's basically booted out of the corporation, and and, and we we need to start looking at something to him. Unfortunately, in real life, they never really capitalised on it because they also turned Shawn Michaels' face and, and sort of Bigelow got linked with Diesel as a sort of a, a second fiddle thing, but nothing ever happened there. I'm looking at this as a chance to build Bigelow as sort of the 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 counterbalance to Ted DiBiase's corporation. D- Bigelow is going to be the guy who's going to feud with the corporation for a period of time here, leading to probably Tatanka, as, he's, as they've been that previous tag title. Uh, tag ch- uh, challenges. So I've basically decided Bigelow is going to have a match against one of the members of the corporation. Now, I really don't care who it is. It could be anyone except Tatanka. So it can be IRS. It could be King Kong Bundy. It could even be Karma, but I sort of felt maybe not Karma because 
Kama's gotten involved in, a, in, in some stuff with The Undertaker, and that's where they were taking that one. So Bigelow is going to have a match against probably IRS or Bundy. Um, maybe Bundy was sort of probably the bigger name because he just, you know, had had the match with Taker. So maybe that that is the maybe the slightly bigger name for for Bigelow to take on. But he's going to have a match. But but really, this match is about two things. It's about sort of showcasing that Bigelow is going to be feuding with the corporation, but it's actually about tagging in the bigger feud for the corporation. So my view is. Bigelow is going to win this match by DQ when essentially the entire corporation gang attacks him. Um, he might have be, get, be getting close to victory, going up to the top rope for the flying headbutt. Oh, oh, it doesn't matter. But at this point, the, the corporation are going to hit the ring. All of them are going to be attacking Bigelow. And then the lights are going to go out. The gong is going to sound. The lights are going to come back on. And the undertaker is in the ring and he cleans house. He is going to clean house to build his feud with the corporate, with the corporation. And that is, I think, allows me to get, um, Bigelow a little bit of shine. He's going to be winning the match by DQ. It highlights the role the corporation are playing together, um, and makes them feel a bit more of a threat that as a group they're, they're, they're taking on Bigelow. But then it's, it's more to showcase that the undertaker is the bigger challenge to the corporation. And he's the one who's going to be feuding with DBRC for most of the year. It gets Taker on the card without having to have him in a match. Sure. Um, and he cleans house. Maybe he gives a handshake to Bigelow. And later on in the year, we could have maybe the next in your house, instead of having Diesel and Bigelow team up, which was a waste of time, Bigelow and Taker could team up against a couple of members of the corporation. Uh, so it allows us to build again to a future event. I like it. I love that you incorporated uh, the corporation and the Undertaker stuff. I did a little bit of that as well, uh, but th- th- that's not important right now. But, I, I, you know, I I was so on the fence about getting Bam Bam on this card because it's it's just as you said. I mean, this is he needs to feud with the corporation because of what just happened at WrestleMania. And it's kind of like it's now or never because, you know, WrestleMania just happened. And so you're never going to have a better opportunity to do anything with this character. And I ultimately, you know, figured he would play into a storyline, but not an actual match. But I like what you've done here because I think that if, you make Bam Bam Bigelow reactive to something, which is kind of what I had envisioned, that it makes him look weaker out of the get-go, and he maybe he doesn't recover. But having him take action and just immediately destroy them, uh, you know, and then obviously they have to save their member, I think that makes a, a, a paints a better picture of the overall character, and uh, I think it's I think it's well done. I like it quite a bit. All right, yeah, and, and, and as you said, I think it's it's about. It's about. I always felt the corporation were never really portrayed. But they they were obviously DBRC is the money man and he's buying this group. But but you never really saw them operate as a unit most of the time. You had them at ringside at WrestleMania. You had the occasional tag team match, but you never saw this gang mentality or this corp. That, that the idea that they were a corporation never really seemed to be promoted because they were never all together. And I, I think the idea of pushing that little bit of, hey, they're all together working for DBRC's benefit because he's paid them all off, 
um, I think it, it, it allows you to solidify the growth of this new unit that the company were, 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 were building. Yeah, it is something very unique to WWF, especially at the time, a massive heel stable or even a stable in general. I mean, you always had sort of non-cohesive, like the Heenan family was more of a concept than a stable. I mean, you know, that yes, they would appear together, but only if it was necessary for the storyline. It's not like Arn Anderson's coming down with Rick Rude just to hang out for the match. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so it is sort of like foreign to them in a way. Maybe they didn't know how to do it properly, but then... I think another thing that's unfortunate about them as a group is you've got the click allegedly in McMahon's ear and those guys don't want to work with King Kong Bundy. So they're going to be relegated to the mid card. I'm not saying that's right, but what I'm saying is, is that these guys weren't attractive to the folks on top. So you might as well mean their mid card appearances actually count for a selling point for your, for your shows. And I think that's what you've done. Yeah. And I think that's where Bigelow comes in because like you've just said, the click members we know that in the end, Bigelow's push in '95 was was curtailed by the by the click, and um, for various reasons, the fact that they liked working with each other, the fact that Shawn Michaels, it all comes back to Shawn Michaels turning babyface. We'll get onto that later on, but Shawn Michaels, everything happened that derailed Bigelow, and this way you can keep Bigelow in a key storyline that relates directly to his character development and it can be played out over months and months without having to turn him into a second fiddle or a nothing. Like, he can work with the taker. They can both be feuding with the corporation, team together when needed, not team together when needed. It develops a, a bit of a connection for taker to have someone as a backup for a little while and that can be helped later in the year. And... um it allows both it allows Bigelow to stay in a featured prominent storyline without having these legs cut out from under him. For you can run this probably right through to Survivor Series. Bigelow and Taker become two guys in that team against the corporation at at um, at, at Survivor Series, and obviously you know in real life they did the whole Razor One Two Three Kid ties in with that. Well. You can keep this co- cohesive storyline right through to then and almost transition it away from Bigelow after Survivor Series and onto someone like Razor. Well, it's interesting too because you don't see the Undertaker character really interact with another wrestler in terms of an, a, a, like a, an alignment uh, until you get Kane. Now, it's funny the parallels between Bam Bam and Kane, you know, literally in terms of the fire, mm. but. This would allow for the Undertaker character to perhaps start to evolve away from that uh, presentation earlier in the timeline. Now, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But at the same time, if he is actively in a group with someone or they form some sort of an alliance, you know, there, why would he, why does he say Bam Bam? Well, there, there has to be a reason. Um, you know, maybe he's human after all. Maybe he, you know, maybe we learn a little bit more about the Undertaker. The character gets some subtle changes that affect how he goes downhill or down down the road and then of course what every great tag uh, babyface alliance waits for someday they split and they you know allegedly hopefully tear the house down somewhere at least with with buys i don't know about work rate look <laughs> <laughs> well, i was a good worker I, I no think, that's true I think, I think if you built that i mean that's a longer term storyline that yeah it could could have been done but i mean a longer term story i mean around the time that taker um you know, in 96, where they start to bring Mankind in, if you had a heel turn of 
uh, yeah, Bigelow turns back heel around that time that Mankind comes in, it would allow you to trend. It would have allowed Bigelow would have worked really well with Taker, I think, in that situation, with with Taker sort of taking the, you know, I've been hurt personally. And then mm-hmm. that creates uh, an undercurrent for, and then Mankind comes out, and he really works the the mind games on Taker, and, and it takes it to the next level. So uh, it would have created, you, you could have had some good matches, and yeah, like you said, I think it creates, starts to create that storyline for the Taker of, hey, you know, it might begin with, he just, he wasn't going to be bought out. He, you know, it was all around, he was not being bought by the under, by DBRC originally. And now he sees that Bigelow is like him. He's not going to be bought out. So there's their initial connection. I'm just recognizing Bigelow has a similar attitude to DBRC. And then maybe they start to develop, you know, some, some connection through the year. Bigelow becomes someone that Taker can turn to or that Taker can rely on and, Taker begins to trust people. And then, you know, maybe building into the mania the following year, Bigelow turns on him, Taker, Taker, you know, feels slighted, and then Mankind comes in and takes it to the next level. It, and it that, certainly creates long-term storyline. Well, I love it too because your long-term storyline is paying off for me because I'm wanting this, like, little ECW hardcore division that we're creating with uh, – Fully and not really a hardcore division, but like Taker and fully doing those types of matches in '96, and then throwing in a Bam and Bigelow, who I guess if he's been featured prominently is more active and in the best shape of his life, hypothetically, uh, going up against like Mankind and doing early Shades of Grey type stuff. Like I, I want to watch this alternate '96 you've created <laughs> with this one in your house match. I wish. I'm so ashamed now looking at my third match. <laughs> Uh, well, what's your third? Let's hear your third. Oh, uh, well, okay. So, like I said, I watched I watched a little bit of the actual show, and one thing I did like was the Mother's Day of it all. Now, look, it's a little cheesy, but you can't run from the fact that you decided to book your show on Mother's Day. And I thought having that as the selling point for something maybe was, I don't know about important, but again, sort of something I know they're going to do anyway, so it's my goal to at least try to make it less painful, okay? So um, the third match is another King of the Ring qualifier because there was one in the dark matches. I just went ahead and threw one on the screen or on the on the actual show. And also my pay, my main event, which I won't unless one, but it involves a lot of people, so I'm a little running thin. But it's <laughs> it's doink, I know defeating Jerry the King Lawler to get into the King of the Ring, and it, but, it, but it plays in. I see it as sort of like a – I'm not look, it's it's a bad idea, I know. But it's comedy, it's quick, you do the whole Mother's Day thing. King is like, oh, I'm going to be the actual King of the Ring and make my mom happy. And he does the same gimmick he does from the real world with his mom, the model or whatever. And Doink comes out with Dink and his mom, someone like Yerple, all right? And it's like a Memphis-y style quick one. Dink and Yerple, in quotation marks, maybe help Doink get a small package, and it's a fluke fin, and of course the king is pissed. And as Doink and his barrage of morons celebrate in the center of the ring, the lights go dim, the bomb explodes, and out comes Adam Bomb, puts him through some sort of deadly power bomb scenario to sound like Tony Schiavone, and then Doink does an injury angle, and he's not even in the king of the ring. So he's already won his first match. You know what? I actually don't mind this idea. Um, I think, you know, there was always that criticism 
why isn't Jerry Lawler in the King of the Ring tournament? And I always, I always wish that he did go in. And I like, I like um, the use of, of of bringing a bit of fun. You can picture, you know, this whole Mother's Day thing. You, you can really right. picture both the characters playing into it because. Because I, I picture Jerry Lawler coming out and doing one of two things. He either brings out the world's hottest model, claiming that it's his mother, and of course you've got Vince on commentary going, that's not his mother, he's trying to you know, trick us that it's his mother or whatever. Or, or he brings out the ugliest, fattest woman in history, and, and of course, you know, then you, then you can have the snide comments about, from Vince on commentary about, well, I'm not surprised, you know, that's his mother, and it probably explains a lot of things. And <laughs> and at the same time, Jerry Lawler responding to, to fans sort of as he does his walk, yeah, he always likes to walk out talking, you know, he's, he's saying things like, you know, don't you say those things about my mother. What do you mean my mother's fat? She's you know, He complained a whole, he doesn't see it as fat. She's beautiful, even though it's clearly he's he's mocking the fans he can sort of go she's not fat she's better looking than you are you know she's she's thinner than you are sort of thing so he could you could see Lawler working it and then of course like you said Doink bringing out his mother some some dressed up clown as well I think that would be it would be absolutely hilarious um and then Oh, yeah, have a bit of a fun match. And, and you could even tie it in. You, know, you could even take it back. You, know, you can bring this long-term storyline concept. In the build-up, Lawler can be talking about the fact how two years ago, Doink, who was his chosen court jester against Bret Hart, you know, oh, failed, failed him. And and he's you know he's he he's never forgiven Doink and now he's going to prove it in the ring how much better he is and he's going to put an end to that court jester and all that so you could even bring that longer term storyline up or if you wanted to have some real fun with it if you wanted to play on where things could go in the future and whether you choose to in your in you know in this Earth ninety five universe whether you wanted to go back to the Jerry Lawler Hart family thing. It, it might actually be not so much a woman under under the under the paint as um, as Doink's mother. But it could be someone like Owen Hart. Ooh. Owen Hart under the paint, and then Owen Hart post match attacks Lawler, wipes the paint off, takes the hair hair off, and sort of like you know, this is for my mother. All the things you've ever said about my mother, because we know Owen's a prankster. Um, you could play that up a little bit, and you know, Owen gets a little bit of revenge for the things that Lawler has said about Helen Hart over the years. Well, what what if Doink's mom, under some pretty heavy makeup to disguise it, what if it's Helen Hart? <laughs> and then at the very end, he starts to go talk shit to her, and then uh, you know she rips off the paint. She's like, "It was me," and he's like, "Oh," you know, and then you get your. But I like the idea, too, of if Lawler has uh, a less than desirable mother come out with him, that, you know, over the course of the match, she kind of pulls the Darth Vader and starts to realize, wait a minute, he's been talking shit about me this whole time. And maybe as a way to, like, make her son, you know, have to uh, pay for it, she makes him, she helps Doink win the match or something. Yeah, gives, gives him the big slap in the face or something like that. Yeah. Right. And then, it, it and then, well, yeah. then after our, and then after our fun, however you see it, you know, the whole point, again, is to if there, we're going to live in this world where there is a new out of nowhere King of the Ring heel threat, Adam Bomb, 
makes the entrance regardless. Um, you know, and, and cause that's, that's what I'm selling here. And I wanted to have fun while doing it. And I didn't want to lose the mom's day. I thought it was just, it's, it's the perfect. I mean, come on. It's Vince McMahon. The fact he's going to, he's going to say it every second regardless. He might as well make something out of it. It's Mother's Day. It, it, it's a great idea. I think it really fits that concept of it's a what it's 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 a unique show. It's something different. Not you know if history has shown us everything. You know even as I mean I sit here. I've talked about how I want to get certain people onto the card. And you build a card, and as you know, those of us we like this fantasy booking concept. You always want to make everything mean something. But the if we if those of us that are, are true wrestling fans know sometimes you just need that one match that's on the card as a bit of a it's entertainment. It's it's. Let's just have a bit of fun. Let's this one-off fun match. Two guys who are just going to make it entertaining. The in-ring action does not have to matter when it's Lawler and Doink. <laughs> right. Well, the in-ring Excuse action me, because is because they're going to bring the entertainment factor. Right. The in-ring action is what gag is next, and I I think that's absolutely fine. I've got no problem with it, and I'm I'm glad that it didn't get to the chopping block because, you know. I, I love your concept and evaluation of fantasy booking. You're right. We all want to come out right out of the gates and be like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's Hogan Austin right away. But, you know, you can't just do that. You have to get there. And you can't – every match can't be Hogan Austin, you know. So uh, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's good. I think, you've, I think you've put together a fun concept for the show, and I think it really plays off of what the initial In Your House idea was. And I quite like that one. I almost wish I'd put that one on my show. Wow, the do- wow, I didn't expect that, but I will take it. It's the first compliment I've had in like 16 weeks, so all right. <laughs> it helps when you've got someone else on the show with you. Absolutely. You know what? It really, really, really does, and I love whatever Johnny C that came out the multiverse is hosting this show because it's much more fun when there's someone to play off of. I did a, I did like two and a half hours rebooking of WrestleMania 16, and while I stand behind it as like I, I hope it was – a, an interesting presentation to listen to. Like I was editing it together and I'm like, man, it's just me talking for a really long time. <laughs> so this is better. All right. That's good. Oh, that, 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 that's 16. There were some good matches on that show. I, I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you some props there. I'll give you another, I'll give you another compliment right now. Here's your second one. I, I did enjoy some of the concepts you put out there for, for your WrestleMania rebook. Oh, sweet. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I didn't want to, uh, get into the weeds of like the week to week television, but I figured if I was doing China and Hunter, I, I better make it. I better rationalize it, you know. Yeah, I try yeah. to do that. Well, let's let's do match number four. What do you have to sell? All right. So as I said, key figures I want to get on the sh- on the card. I want my tag champions on the card. Owen Hart, Yokozuna won the belts at WrestleMania. We need to showcase them. In 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 our world. They just had a rematch against the the smoking guns. I don't want to see the smoking guns again. I want Yoko beat them. They don't need to beat them again. And I, as I said, I don't want to put them against the Allied Powers yet. I need to build them. They need to be built more. So I looked at the roster and I went, "Who's still there? Who is on the roster that could have a good match with Owen and Yoko? Who can be sacrificed to Owen and Yoko? It's not going to matter if they lose. I want a clean win for our tag champs." And I saw that the Head Shrinkers were still on the roster, Fatu right. and Sioni. And I thought that would be fun. The Head Shrinkers never really got their rematch when they lost the titles in in 94. 
And I thought this would be a nice way to write the head shrinkers out of the company. They can have a title match against Owen and Yoko. They can lose clean as a whistle. Yoko is going to drop the leg on Sione. Maybe after Owen whacks someone in the back of the head or trips them and they bounce off the ropes and Yoko then just drops the big leg. It is clean. It is That doesn't need to be long, but it is a showcase for our tag champs to get them over. And, and, and look, the reality is, I mean, I was never a big fan of Sione and the head shrinkers, but I get that some who got hurt and they needed to bring someone in and, and help to be able to carry the story, carry the team a little bit. Um, and um, Fatu and Sione are good workers, and you're going to get a good match with Owen and Yoko, and it, it creates that scenario where Owen is the the quick technical guy against with three guys who are real powerhouses. I think it would create a good fun dynamic. You're going to have a good match, and um, yeah, like I said, it is all about Owen and Yoko being head headlined and showcased to build, continue to build them as tag champs for that shot against the Allied Powers. I um so I'm falling in love with this idea that you presented like as you're talking about it like this this to me feels like a really solid tag team title match you would see on like a Royal Rumble and a Royal and that being one of the key matches like cuz you know the rump the way the rumble was structured in the 90s like we got a title match one match about that's maybe a feud and then a tag title match that's a big tag title match and it's that like we know this isn't the WrestleMania tag title match but it's the Royal Rumble tag match and I'm imagining this amazing spot where the head shrinkers and Yoko headbutt each other. So maybe Yoko headbutts Fatu and there's no nothing. He headbutts Sione and there's nothing. And then all three of them kind of turn and look at Owen. And like Owen was wanting to be in this headbutt confrontation, but then he's like, <laughs> you know what? No, maybe, maybe next time. And then they just, you know, go back to it because I don't, I don't see this as comedy at all in the match, but I think you have these three guys and I, I don't think Sione, is Sione part of the family? I don't want to say that he is because um, I'm not trying to think, generalize. When, when you look at um, when you look at the doing the family tree, I do think I do believe he may be distantly related, like okay. second or third cousin, but he's not a part of the key family. Well, these guys are going to go in here, and they're going to. The, I think there's a natural desire when they would work together to want to make each other look the best possible. It's like what the Usos do on a daily basis. They just go out there and they make people look good and they look at themselves doing it. But when they're in the ring with, you know, uh, like when they were in the ring with Roman for that, that six man tag, like they were, you know, I think that that's fun stuff that elevates them. But my point is, is that they're going to put on a little show of their own. That's a natural organic part of the match, but they're going to be amped up and having a guy who's quirky like Owen, who could work off of and react to anything at a moment's notice. It's going to be a fantastic hard-hitting match, and Owen's spots are going to feel so unique in the interaction with all, even all three of them here. Like maybe, Yoko, what are you doing? You're crazy or something. Like, you know, like, mm. calm down, big guy. You know, I, you know, just, I don't know. I, I watched, uh, I, I, saw, I watched Owen Hart as the Blue Blazer uh, when I was reviewing SmackDown, and I've been on this massive Owen Hart's, like, the best guy in the ring to react to any possible thing on the planet. Yeah, oh, oh, he 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 was always great at that. And you can just picture Owen tagging in and maybe, you know, like you said, <laughs> like you said, he goes for a shot on the head and and it 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, you know, not, not, you know, maybe does the whole old ram the head into the turnbuckle. I'm picturing sure. he's got Fatu and he rams Fatu's head in the turnbuckle once and, and, and Fatu just doesn't phase. And he rams it in a second time and, and Fatu sort of looks to the crowd like, you know, the eyes start to open up and, and he rams it a third time and, and Fatu just looks and glares at Owen and <laughs> Owen sees the look. And he rushes over and tags in Yokozuna and is like, you do it. And then you, and then you get your headbutt spot. Yeah, Yoko comes in and he, he gives Fatu the headbutt and Fatu doesn't phase. And then Sione comes in, he gives Sione the headbutt. And then maybe they give him a double headbutt. And, um, yeah, and like you said, at this point, yeah, because Sione's in, Owen's come back in and they all turn and look at Owen. Owen's like, yeah, no, I'm back out of the ring, and he, and, and he, and he bails. But it, just, it really, it would really work. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! should hop out of the ring and go right to Fuji and be like, "You get in there." <laughs> and Fuji's like, "No," <laughs> because that's something this planet needed more of. Was Owen Hart interacting with Mister Fuji for God's sakes? Mm. Oh. Yeah. Or even Owen grabbing the tennis racket from um, from Cornette <laughs> because Cornette would have been out there with him and it's sort of like they're, they're doing the headbutt spot and he comes back in with the yes. tennis racket. At which point the referee's like, "Nah, get out of here! You can't have that in here." And you know, right. maybe maybe that allows Yoko to throw some salt in someone's eyes or do an eye rake or you know cheat behind the back and you know take control. But you, you could just picture they're not they're not going out to make the match. A, a, a fun, like a, it's not a comedy match, but you can throw in little elements that are going to bring enough of a laugh at the same time as as allowing these workers to to really go for it. And I think you were you were you were likening it before to the Usos. Um, I think Fatu would just enjoy putting Yokozuna over. I think they would yep. he would just love being able to just do something to make his cousin look as sensational as he was. Absolutely. They're going to go. Out. And, you know, it would be, yes, you have maybe have a comedy moment, but then the Owen character has to tell the story. I'm not going to beat these guys by beating them. I'm going to have to outsmart them. And I'm not saying that to say, but I'm going to have to trick them. I'm going to have to pull some shenanigans because I'm Owen Hart after all, you know. Mm. Yeah. So, but I love it. I just, you know, and it feels just the right amount of house showy, but like embracing the best parts of house shows and maybe giving that to us on a pay-per-view matches that may not have a massive consequence in the storyline. Something's getting set up, but fun. That's what 95 is devoid of fun. In my opinion, it is, it is. And I don't think, you know, uh, you, you hear a lot of these stories of Owen doing stuff on house shows and we never really saw it as much on TV and pay-per-view. And I know that's because it's not the, it's not the arena for it, but I think, there are opportunities to allow Owen's fun nature and his ribbing nature and these these things that you hear him doing in on house shows that aren't televised. I think there's opportunity to bring it in. That they always had a chance to bring it in more to to some of these matches. A little bit of campiness that when he's with three power guys, he can get away with doing things like running things or facial expressions because it will fit the storyline in a logical way and yet at the same time bring enjoyment to everyone who's watching. Absolutely. Well put. I mean, that's, I think that's the key component right there. It, it's not, it doesn't stand out as they shouldn't have done that because it feels organic because Owen's in there with these three guys and having Owen and Yoko are a trope from entertainment. All right. 
wacky guys that get along some for somehow some reason. But, you know, he likes vanilla and I like strawberry. How do we get along across our mm. shoulders? Like, you know, it's it's Owen and Yokozuna. The gimmick is, is that Yoko can beat Yoko's the guy that beat my brother, Brett. And Owen's like getting the money, being a tag team champion and kind of using and abusing Yoko. Not I mean, not but not in a way that's, uh, you know, that comes like a year from now here. That's like. Oh, it's like I finally hitched my ride. I figured out the way to get the most by doing the least. Eh, I don't know. Maybe not, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we've got one more fourth match to talk about. So in line with what we were talking about with the corporation and the undertaker, I have decided to use that to the advantage of this next match. But it's not exactly at the forefront of it, but it is the backbone of it. So maybe I should just get into it. So Ted DiBiase, I guess, comes out on Superstars, and he's talking smack about The Undertaker, but he's by himself. And then, of course, this brings out The Undertaker and Paul Bear, and as The Undertaker gets closer and closer, The Undertaker is assaulted by an angel in white. But this is no angel. This is a demon. This is the undefeated modern-day kamikaze, Hakushi. All right? And so Hakushi pretty much targets the phenom for Ted DiBiase in a way that, Ted DiBiase makes vague statements like, oh, thanks for so much for saving me, Hakushi, you know, uh, and thanks so much for setting me up with that international business deal. Maybe Hakushi's family is very important back in his home country, and now he's made Ted DiBiase even millions of more money. And uh, throughout the weeks, we see Ted DiBiase talking to various heels, guys that aren't in his group, but we don't really know what they're saying. It's just we catch them in the back, and then the door closes. And then... Basically, what happens is we come to In Your House and Hakushi fights The Undertaker in a spot that I feel should be this should do for Hakushi what King of the Ring 96 does for mankind, hopefully. All right. So they have a match and I think it's a cool contrast in styles. It's definitely a contrast, but we know that Undertaker gets better at what he does. Maybe working with a guy like Hakushi, maybe we get to see some of that right now. And, you know, Ted DiBiase isn't really there, but we see throughout the match that guys that he's been talking to, random guys in the company, just random heels, because he wants to get the Undertaker while the Undertaker is at his weakest, or, and, and he knows that if the corporation gets involved in this match, it'll all come back on him. So he's using random guys throughout the company, and they don't really as much physically help Hakushi win as they do like in the Royal Rumble when he fights, when they, uh, Yokozuna fights Taker in the casting match. It's not like that ridiculous, but maybe they come out, distract, go to the back and Hakushi's in control. And, you know, Hakushi goes over when the last guy that comes out to interfere hits the undertaker and Hakushi's able to hit whatever his finish might be or what have you. And that's Jean-Pierre Lafitte. And, we're going to continue this trend of having Undertaker feud with different guys on the card that are secretly working for DiBiase. That way, when he finally interacts with the corporation, guys like Kama, IRS, and what have you, it will not feel as bland because he hasn't been interacting with them in the buildup. It's there, the big bad. He has to go through all these other levels to get to them, and you put Okushi over like a beast. But it doesn't make the Undertaker look bad because there will be enough shenanigans afoot. And that was a mouthful, and I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Look, that that I, I love the idea of Hakushi working with the Undertaker. If there's one thing we learned about the Undertaker through his career, um, especially post '96, 
it was that he actually did work very well with the smaller, fast, skilled guys. I mean, you look at who his best matches are with. His best in-ring matches are with guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. And, and, and Mankind. I mean, Mankind's a little bit bigger. He's, he's a different kettle fish, but these are smaller guys. And to, to this point in 95, the WWF had been just, Undertaker had just been having one monster feud after another. You know, we, we had, you know, El Giante, Giant Gonzalez and Kamala and, you know, Yokozuna. And it was just one big guy after another. And, and he really got typecast and the matches that came out were no good. Um, and the only thing that, I mean, honestly, the only thing that kept Taker going was this persona and character that everyone loved. Because if it was based on in-ring, he probably would have been dumped. But, and that, and not because of him. This is the thing, because we learn that he's fantastic working with these smaller guys. So I think this is a great opportunity to allow Undertaker to showcase what he can do in the ring, what he what he's able to, to, to do with a smaller guy. And at the same time, you're not sacrificing anyone of importance in doing it. Um, I, we, we've put Hakushi in different roles, but at the same time, it, it, I, I could see the un, wrestling The Undertaker elevating Hakushi a little bit. I, I, I feel that his match against Bret Hart in, 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 in our world didn't really elevate Hakushi the way it could have. I think that the little background story you've done there, it, it, it gives a little bit of a, a storyline into the match. It would allow Hakushi to be um, elevated. And, uh, and, and, and then coming out of that, even taking a loss, he can still turn that into um, other opportunities and, and maybe getting matches against more prominent guys than what actually happens. So I, I can see that. I, I, I think it would be an enjoyable match, that's for sure. I think Hakushi is also enough of a character in the way that Hakushi sort of had his mannerisms before he hit his moves and stuff like that. Like, you're, even though the visual is such a contrast, it's like, well, here's the thing, though. Hakushi's kind of a badass. And they've sold that well enough up to this point where he goes up against Bret Hart to where he looks like he could be a threat. And, you know, it's just makes the, you know, Undertaker will get his big hits in and they'll look great. And, you know, I figured it'd be fun if nothing else. If, you know, it, the thing is, is that if we, if they don't do it, they'll never know. And when else are they going to do it aside from fiction? <laughs> so why not? That's true. That's true. The only, the only drawback I see is it could, it could backfire, um, you know, in the effort to try and elevate Hakushi. It, it could, it could just kill him dead. Um, you know, being, being beaten clean by the Undertaker. Um, we've seen so many guys that they lose that that big clean match, and and Hakushi and and ends up in the same role. He ended up. I guess I guess in the long run, he ends up in. He could end up in the same position he was in. It doesn't doesn't pre really change where things went for him um, after he lost to Brett. Um, but I do think it does create the opportunity to elevate him if he gets some of those moves on and makes it look like oh he nearly beat the Undertaker. He was. Always going to lose, but if it looks like, oh, for a moment we thought it might, the upset might happen, that's where elevation comes. Yeah, definitely. I, I would agree with that. I'm into it. And hey, I do think it would be a fun visual to see, if nothing else, because Akushi has a real nice presentation. He does have the white, you know, and it stands out against the Undertaker, but what's interesting here is that Akushi would sort of be the angel of death. 
like scenario. Mm. Not literally, but it's kind of like that's that's the thing. Even the Undertaker would be surprised in ring at how quick Kakushi was and how lethal his hits were and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe somewhere yeah. out there. No, like I said, I think I think the match would be a, a really interesting one, and it would allow Taker to to bring new elements to his in-ring performance that we hadn't seen to that time, which we did eventually see more in sort of um, post-Mankind and the, the, as, as he sort of wrestled more against Michaels and, and, and Hart and Austin and the smaller guys where he was able to bring the different layer to his in-ring ability. We might get to see that a bit earlier. Was Taker doing the old school at this time? I mean, what would, you know... Ironically enough, be I guess the school at the time. He's still climbing the ropes, right? I, I think he I think he was because I remember reading something about one of the issues they had with one of the issues a lot of people had with the presentation of Hakushi was that in Japan he did that spot, but when they came when he came to the US and the WWF, he wasn't able to use that spot because it was the Undertaker's spot. So I do believe that Hakushi was already... Although there's an element where I thought I didn't think Undertaker brought it in until he was wrestling, started the the revamp of his character after he'd lost to Mankind. So I'm not completely certain, um, but I do I do know that Hakushi didn't really do it that much. I mean, I, I love a world where Taker does it in this match, if it's something we've seen him do before, and Hakushi's maybe the only person that could counter. Maybe he jumps up. On the second rope and does a kick or goes off the turnbuckle and throws him in a reversal, you know, mm. um, just something to show you that. And, and it's not something that's like, wow, that's an amazing power move, but something like, whoa, dude, this guy might not be able to punch you and knock you out, but he can knock you out with his, you know, ability to do stuff like that, to take you off the ropes. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I think, like I said, it would be a great visual. Uh, well, absolutely. And we are getting ever so close. I'm just curious. I, I actually wanted to give this a shout-out before I did the main event, but did you give any time to Todd Pettengale making uh, awkward phone calls and then yelling, You won the house! I am I am certain we'd be able to fit it in there somewhere. I guess I didn't. I, I sort of <laughs> assumed it would be happening regardless. Yeah, I did too. I just I feel like since we're talking about the show – just for the hell of it, it's that's an. I mean, that's a great. It was in the uh, the tournament of fabulousness, which was a tournament that we did back in episode four uh, with Jake from the Brutally Aggressive Podcast. That did just return. Check it out. It's back every other Tuesdays on the North South Connection Podcast Network. But uh, Todd yelling into the microphone, "You want a ha- you want a house?" It was a tournament of fabulousness, and it was like ridiculous moments in wrestling history that have nothing to do with one another, randomly seated in a tournament to see what you would pick. I think the overall winner was just uh, the phrase, the SummerSlam, as like the most fabulous thing the WWE or F, whatever, has ever done. I guess I spoiled the ending, but the tournament's a ridiculous amount of fun. Listen to it in the back catalog. Uh, well, you know, there, there's always those, those liners, those one-liners are always good, good fun. They are. It's great. So it's match number five, sort of your semi-main, maybe. You're the booker. What do you got? Well, it is very much my semi-main. And um, and this match, there's a lot of nuances uh, into what it happens here and where it's going to lead to. And unfortunately, this may give a little bit of a spoiler to what's going to be the outcome of my main event. 
Um, but my my semi main event is uh, Brett the Hitman Hart versus Razor Ramon in a number one contenders match. Now, as I said, I want people on the card. Brett needs to be there. Razor needs to be there. I didn't want Razor in a match against Jared again. I was looking at what do we do with Brett, and I thought, look, these two can have a good match. We'd seen them have a good match at. Um, at the uh, Royal Rumble in 94, um, sorry, 93. We'd seen them have a, um, uh, a good match at King of the Ring. We know that these two can work. And, and all their previous matches, Razor had been the heel. So here we have the babyface versus babyface match, which, yeah, look, 95, this, was, this became the, the, the hallmark of upper end matches for the WWF anyway. Diesel wrestled Brett. Diesel wrestled Taker. Uh, Brett wrestled Taker. Brett wrestled Diesel. Brett. We had a lot of big-time face-versus-face matches. So it's not out of place here. But there's some other elements that are going to bring about in this match because this match is also about building someone to be the next challenger for the world title. And... If um if anyone here has listened to to my other show and I'm going to do my plug now over on the Place to Be Nation Network um the um uh, through the Looking Glass uh, I do that show once a month with uh with Scott Criscolo and I uh, really encourage you to check it out and we did it we did an episode a couple of episodes ago we sort of did a bit of a look at Razor Ramon's career and through the Looking Glass is very similar to this it's it's looking at what th- how things might have been different in in the WWE if certain events or certain storylines were taken in a different direction. And so we did a, we did a, a show on, on Razor Ramon and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and could he have ever been a world champion? And could he have ever won a world title? And one of the things we talked about in that episode lends its way to here is the fact that 1995, one of the issues I think everyone has with 95 is the, the main event scene. Diesel just wrestles talentless schmuck after talentless schmuck, month after month, until the very end of the year. And by that time, his world title reign is is done. No one... It, it, the, the reason that Diesel's reign is looked at as so poor and uh, such a poor moneymaker, I think, is because he, ha- he was never given anyone really decent to work with. So my aim here is to start to build the next challenger for Diesel. And this match, the outcome of this match is going to be that Razor is going to get the win. Now, through the match, we're going to start to see some heel tendencies again from Razor because my plan is that not so much in this match, but in the coming out of this match, we want Razor to turn heel and become a viable challenger to Diesel as our world champion. So our outcome is going to be that Razor is going to win. I don't see it clean. In fact, I see this as an opportunity to build, again, to future storylines. And so these guys are going to tear the house down. They're going to have a great match. Every now and then, Razor's going to do something heelish. You know, maybe a rape to the eye. Maybe maybe take advantage when, when the referee, you know, when, when something, you know, take advantage of a situation that arises when a babyface normally wouldn't. Um, but the match is gonna is gonna is gonna be a, a really great in ring match. Both guys are gonna bring their A game, and then I see this more as probably 
Jerry Lawler on commentary is going to start to say things louder and louder. Like he's obviously tearing at Bret Hart through the through the match like he always does. I see Razor maybe throwing Bret out, maybe even ramming him into the announcer's table, maybe slamming him on the announcer's table. Who knows? Not not the table breaking spot, but certainly that Bret's out there right in Lawler's um personal space. And Lawler takes offence. He shoves him or he pie-faces him or does something that's going to lead to Brett turning his focus to, to the king rather than Razor and Monum. Whether Brett loses by count-out, whether king, whether they sort of have a push and a shove and as Brett goes to get back in the ring, the king attacks him from behind, hits him with a chair, hits him with a set that does something, and Razor takes advantage of it to get the win, whether it be by pinfall or by countout. And Razor does the shrug of, I, I want to be the number one contender. I don't care how I get there. I've, right. won, the, I've won the match. And our, our outcomes are Brett can then siphon back into that unfinished feud with Lawler and, and build to probably what they eventually, that, that, that kiss my foot match that they eventually had at King of the Ring. I, I quite enjoy that match. Um, it's not the greatest thing, but I think it's a good culmination to the storyline that never got finished. Um, and so that allows Brett to move into that. It allows him to lose to a guy that is considered a top-level guy without hurting him. And it allows Razor to um, be pushed to the next level and, and, and have a, a series of matches against Diesel. And again, you can come back from the fact of Razor coming at Diesel of, I beat you last year at SummerSlam for that. For, I won my Intercontinental title back. I'm the man who has beaten you before, and I'm going to be the one who beats you again. But I'm going to do it from the point of view where Razor is going to turn heel, and 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 so it doesn't. It's not going to be Diesel Razor as a babyface match. It's Razor is the heel, um, really doing everything he can to try and win that title. I think it would create a better main event storyline. So. That's my semi-main. There's a lot of working parts to it, but I think it would work at elevating both guys in different ways. It keeps Brett protected, um, but it allows Razor to be elevated. Yeah, that's the absolute ultimate 1995 redo in a nutshell, is what do you do? It's, you know, whenever I hear people review shows from 95 and they're just always trying to figure out, like, uh, I think, it, it, you know, listening to the Wrestling War Zone when JT and Chad were doing in 95 leading up to 96, it's like when they covered the pay-per-views, it's kind of like there's got to have been a way to have done it better, right? And you try to think they could have done this, they could have done that. Turning Razor heel is the ultimate uh, best-case scenario for that. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's great given the outcome that you've given because it allows the primary fan bases of Razor and Brett to be like, well, we kind of got our cake. Uh, we had to, you know, we what is it, cake, have our cake and eat it too or whatever. Why can I not think yeah. of a cliche? It doesn't matter. But the point is, is that, well, cool, Razor won and we like him and that's a new guy. And uh, Brett didn't really lose because now he's going to finally get to beat up Jerry Lawler, which is what we've been waiting for. Now, I'm not trying to paint a negative picture of the primary fan base, but, you know, I think it's that it's youth, you know, uh, at the time. And, you know, if they're looking at it from a shoe perspective, that's kind of what they're thinking. Um so, yeah, I love it. And plus, you get the heel Scott Hall. Now, do you think Scott Hall dethrones Razor someday? Uh, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, or Diesel. Diesel, I'm an idiot. 
probably not. I, I think that um, I think that it, I think the, the better storyline would be maybe building to Razor and Diesel at SummerSlam and tying in the previous year. You know, Razor Razor has turned heel and he he does the whole. I beat you last year at, at, at SummerSlam. I am going to beat you again. I'm the only guy who's beaten you in the last 12 months, and your title is mine. You can't win. I'm in your head doing heel stuff in the whole build-up to it. You know, and, and it allows you to paint that picture of, well, maybe Diesel is the underdog. Maybe Diesel isn't the dominant champion because he has lost to Razor, and it, I think it allows a, a, a natural storyline that makes Diesel look vulnerable. And what you want is to draw money. You'll want your world champion to look vulnerable so that he overcomes it and, and everyone's like, oh, yes, he's done it. I, I think it would help elevate Diesel. So I don't think I'd have Razor win the belt, but I think it would certainly make Diesel look vulnerable. And it, it, he gets the win back in that 12-month cycle. That's something that we all know people like to do. Like That storyline gets told. It's It's... Tried and true. We've seen it multiple times, and we'll continue to see it multiple times. Sure, it's. I mean, and I agree with you 100. It's. It's probably the right call. It's just a bummer that you still have to exist in the world where Scott Hall doesn't get the world title. But hey, ah, it's, that's right. I don't know that he needed it, um, because you know, it's legendary still. So I don't know. Mm. But I do love it. I think it's a great match. I know their Rumble match. Their King of the Ring match. I mean, it would just be the next chapter and what they're doing. And it would be nice, too, because I think every time they've met, it's been a pretty clean face-heel dynamic. So this would be face-face, but as we go along, it's a it's a unique face-face because we're seeing shades of gray, pal, you know? Yeah, the, sh- the shades of gray that are going to lead to the turn, but the match itself is still portrayed as that face-face element. Um, they're almost reminiscent of what they did with Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, where Perfect threw in a little bit of heel tendencies as he got frustrated in their King of the Ring match back in 90, 1993. Um, I think you could see elements of that come out in Razor. He gets frustrated, he breaks some rules, gets on top. At the end of the match, they, you know, like I said, they probably do the Razor does the shrug, like he looks at Bret like, I took it that you would have done the same thing. Right. And and so that he walks out as the baby. Maybe even they shake hands. But it would be the next night or the next couple of weeks where he does the full heel turn as he starts to go, I'm coming for you, Diesel. Nice. I love it. That's good that's good shit, pal. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Um match number five on the agenda over on this side. So I I agreed with what you had said earlier about the Allied Powers, but I really, really wanted to do the Allied Powers versus Oko. Oko, I called them. Well, hey, maybe that's their 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 new team name. <laughs> versus Owen and Yoko, right? Because I thought it's too much of a, it's so much of a missed opportunity. Because look at the synergy here. I mean, Davy Boy and Owen have a natural storyline that's completely baked into their actual characters. Okay. Yo, Yoko and Lex, exactly the same, especially when you consider the fact that Luger's still doing the USA stuff, all right? But I did agree that after all the buildup of Yoko being the mystery partner, because you feel like if you do it, you have to do a title switch, right? Because then Luger just loses the big one again, right? Yeah. So I've tried to figure out a way that the allied powers can beat Owen and Yoko. And so 
we're going to have the In Your House flag match. Okay? So, basically, it's a tag team match. And, you know, we take the four flags of those involved and they, you know, have one per corner. And to win the match, you have to capture your countries combined. So it is the Allied Powers against uh, Owen Hart and Yokozuna. And the scenario being kind of set up that, you, like I said, you have to get all four flags. So maybe Owen gets the Canadian flag, but then he takes a clothesline and Davy Boy puts it back in. So what it is more so than anything is a, it's an attraction, all right? But I think these guys have natural chemistry together in a way that we know that Owen and Bulldog do. And I'm, I would hope at this point Lex and Yoko at least knew how to communicate to one another to have a decent enough match. You know, they'd worked together previously. And plus, it's a new concept that we've not seen before. And uh, there's got to be a hilarious spot where things really get chaotic and break down and everybody's outside of the ring, unable to climb the gravity flags except for Yoko. And he's kind of like, oh, shit, I really have to do this, don't I? Um, not in a way that makes him look stupid, but in a way that's like maybe he runs to the turnbuckle and the uh, post snaps down, and that's how he gets the Japanese flag. I don't know. Uh, I- I'm not a ring technician. But that's the kind of presentation that I'm going for. But this would allow the Island Powers to win in a way that doesn't embarrass the opponents because, really, all they did was lay the, so- uh, lay the seeds for the feud because all they did to win was capture a couple flags, you know? So – there you go. That's what I. That's what I envisioned. When I when I was first trying to work out my my um my card, the first thing I did was put Owen and Yoko versus the Allied Powers for the tag titles for the same reason you did, and then for the same reasons that you've gone the direction of your flag match concept is the reason why I split them back up again, which was you couldn't have Yoko lose so soon after this comeback mystery partner thing and I didn't want Lex Luger losing and so that was why I separated them I can see keeping them together I can see where you've come from trying to trying to keep um, everyone strong by avoiding having anyone get pinned um, and and it's certainly a, a, you know, a good way to try and, and keep that that dynamic uh, because that was the match. It was really the match they needed to go with and build to. And it's a shame that the one time we got it on in your house too, I think, didn't we? Was it in your house too that it 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 happened? But I don't think it ever it ever hit the um hit the foresight. Yeah, I'm just looking at the card now. They they met on in your house too, um, and um, Yoko Pin Luger following a double axe handle off the top by Owen behind the referee's back after Yoko sustained a, a double back suplex. So, so it was sort of that the Allied Powers had seemingly gotten on top and and Owen and Yoko pulled out the the, the, the sneak. And I think that the longer term plan was to build to a rematch at SummerSlam. That was the match we never got. Right. So. So this was the the plan was to get these two teams together, whether it's sooner or whether it's later. That's the direction they were going, and I think I don't think it would have mattered when they met because you were always going to run into that storyline dilemma. Do you really want Owen and Yoko to drop the belts because they were? It was a great storyline tag team. The, the the big guy and the little guy, the the difference of styles, the Owen Hart's 
redemption, trying to um, do what his brother, you know, what his brother's done. It kept that that element. But you've always got that Lex Luger can't win the big one thing. And and to an extent, since he'd returned, Davy Boy was in the same boat. He'd lost at the Royal Rumble. He he you know he was he'd come back, but he wasn't the same guy that won the title from Bret Hart at SummerSlam '92. So it, it was always a, a match that these two teams needed to face off, but it was a real scenario where you never really wanted either one of them to lose. Yeah, I think if you if you get them together like this earlier, coming at right out of eleven, and then you let the Allied Powers win, which gives them, you know, build up in the in the eyes of the fans. And then, you know, if they do meet at this in your house too, it 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 feels like there's it, there's been build up, there's been organic. Like, well, this is the next next natural evolution because they won the flag match, they beat them in the record books. Now they have a title shot, and you could even do something at King of the Ring where maybe the four of them are in the King of the Ring in separate matches, and we could have all kinds of crazy stuff and. Maybe Lex and Yoko get DQ'd or something, and Bulldog loses to Adam Bomb in the finals or something like that. I mean, if you're going, if you have to go in this direction, you know, mm. I, I try to design my shows if I I knew there were certain things they wouldn't let me change uh, in a sense that this is their plan and this is how their company works. But I think that you can keep these four hot to where their tag match, even though it's hard to do in '95, actually means something. It hasn't been until this modern era surprisingly enough, where the tag team titles could main event a pay-per-view. So this isn't that, but it's the pretty – I mean, look at the four guys in the ring. I mean, I don't know. It should. It it should. And I think, you know, the the key there is probably so long as the titles aren't on the line, you can get away with a few few other things. And you could run storyline elements to maybe not have the titles on the line. Jim Cornette comes out and says, number number one, he says, well, Lex, you, you, you said you were never going to um, wrestle Yoko for a world title again. So that, <laughs> that, that stipulation is still in place. And Gorilla can come out later and say, well, this is a tag team. It's a different scenario. That, that, that's all void. Um, you, could have, you could have them come out and say, um, you haven't earned a title shot yet because you've only had that one match together. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, well, you only had one match together and you won the titles. And, well, you know, if they can beat us in a non-title match, we'll, you know, we'll give them a shot in the future. You could, you could create that underlying current to generate some, 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 some interest in it without putting the titles on the line. I think you could, you could get some storyline element to it then. Absolutely. It's just, you know, it's, I, uh, and I figured it was just a, a fun way to give you the match without blowing off the match because the next time they meet, yeah. the strategy would be, you know, it's just a different presentation. But I also like the visual of, you know, uh, sort of showing something different. It's, it's a new pay-per-view. It's like, well, you, we didn't, you didn't know what to expect, did you? But here's another fun one for you, you know? And, and another potential long-term storyline element that could come out of that is his Luger and Bulldog holding their flags, waving them aloft, and the crowd are chanting USA. And mm. Bulldog just Bulldog just looks. It, it, it just a, just that momentary look, almost reminiscent of SummerSlam 88, when Macho just had that little look at Hogan lifting Elizabeth up for a moment. You, Bulldog gives a look out to the crowd of, why are you chanting USA when I'm from the UK? And then, and then but, you know, 
Luger hugs him and they and the, and the look disappears. And you don't think about it again until months later when Bulldog turns heel, and that's that's his storyline reason. And, and it is one of the reasons he gives when he does turn heel is that the crowd was chanting USA when he was from tagging with Luger, and it got to him. And I think you could show it. Um, it would create that that just that underline ready to build on later on. What I love about Dave is how he makes my shit sound so much better than it actually is. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, gosh, this is it, man. I mean, we, we've come to the conclusion. I mean, I feel like I've been in your house. You've been in mine. But now we've got to invite everybody into the big main event. The guy, I, I, you know, I cannot believe I'm trying to make a, a, a I'm trying to run with the house gimmick. I cannot believe they ran with this for so long. Like <laughs> these aliens are now in your house. So come watch the WWF, you know, like. And I love that – I don't know if I said this earlier, but I love that the one thing the internet wrestling community can agree upon are the fictional subtitles that we've assigned to In Your Houses 1 through 6. Uh, mm. You know, so In Your House, it just brings people together in your house. But it's time for the first ever main event in your house. What do we well, got? I, I, I'm, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing together um, – I'm going to put them in a house. My, my main event's going to happen in a house, sort of. Um, well, if you've been obviously paying attention, you'll know there are certain people that have not appeared on our on my card so far, and uh, and I'm I'm really I'm looking at a rematch. Um, so I've taken uh, I've taken some liberties, as as you said, we can't bring people crazy in, but I think you know, we can change some storytelling elements that happen with the guys that we're, we had access to, and my main event is going to be our world champion Diesel defending his title in a rematch against Shawn Michaels in a steel cage. Now, if we go back to WrestleMania, look, I said it earlier in the, in, in, in the show tonight, one of the biggest things that threw the entire company into chaos in my mind in 1995 was the decision to turn Shawn Michaels' babyface straight after WrestleMania. It, it, it just, the timing didn't work. Now, they did it for various reasons. They did it for the fact that they felt that Shawn Michaels had upstaged their world champion in, um, in the WrestleMania uh, world title match. They did it because Shawn Michaels was getting popular anyway. His moveset, his style of wrestling was not what they wanted from a heel in 1995. So there are various reasons for turning him babyface. I just think they could have held off four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. They could have just held off a little bit longer because the storyline that they built to around Diesel had been this match with him and Shawn Michaels. The, the, the hatred, the, the, the come up, and Shawn was angry that Diesel had taken that title, that he would turned his back on him, all that. And a one-off match just, to me, never cut it. And you have the added element where Sean got the visual pin on Diesel in that main event while the referee was down. So I'm holding off Shawn Michaels' heel, uh, face turn. And in doing so, I get to hold off his injury because the reason Shawn Michaels was hurt and not able to wrestle it in your house one was because he got injured when Sid powerbombed him the night after WrestleMania when he turned babyface. So if I don't turn Sean babyface, Sean doesn't get powerbombed by Diesel, Sean doesn't get, uh, by Sid, Sean doesn't get hurt. He's available to do it. 
So I'm building this match right out of WrestleMania. Shawn Michaels saying, I had you beat. If it wasn't for that stupid referee, I had you beat, Diesel. That title is mine, and I want another shot. And this time I want to take the referee out of the equation. Let's go in the cage because I will beat you in a cage. You can't rely on a referee saving your butt. You can't rely on Lawrence Taylor or Razor Ramon or anyone else coming down to save you. I am going to beat you in the cage. And Diesel can come back with, well, that works with me because that takes Sid out of the equation. He's your bodyguard. I know that you rely on your bodyguard. I know that you want him um, interfering for you. And he tried to interfere at WrestleMania, but, you know, this takes him out of the equation. So the build-up um, is, is this, we're going to sell this once and for all. On top of that, like you said, in your house, they're in the cage match. Diesel can, you know, Diesel can say, you can come into my house. That cage is my house. You can come into my house and I'm going to beat you up in it. Um, so you can bring that, that storyline element to it. So that, that's, my, that's my, my, my building blocks to this match. Throw in, going to throw in there that on the night of the event, we're going to have a couple of early, like throughout the course of the show, we're going to see a couple of little vignettes backstage where we see Ted DiBiase coming out of Shawn Michaels' dressing room. And we maybe have an interview with Ted DiBiase, possibly after the Bam Bam Bigelow fiasco with The Undertaker, where 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 DiBiase is promising um, he's going to unveil a new member of the corporation. Maybe he'll even come into the event where DiBiase has promised there is going to be a new member of the, of the corporation unveiled on this night. And we haven't seen it yet. So we see D- Ted coming out of Shawn Michaels' dressing room. And maybe Vince and Jerry start asking, well, is Shawn Michaels the new member of the corporation? Are we going to see Ted DiBiase come out and, and, and manage Shawn Michaels in the main event. But he doesn't. He doesn't come out during the main event. And our main event goes, we have, we allow Diesel and Shawn to just go at it in the ring. Typical big guy, little guy cage match thing. Think, think Diesel Bret Hart. Think, you know, you can have all sorts of things. Diesel, Shawn might try to escape the cage quick. All sorts of storyline elements are going to make this match fun. But my end of this match, I want a big moment to end the match. And how they get there, I, I, I don't know. But my ending of the match is we've got both guys up near the top of the cage, on the top of the, the top rope. Maybe, maybe Sean's been trying to escape and Diesel climbs up the ropes to the top turnbuckle and grabs Sean. And from the top of the cage, or at least Sean's at the top of the cage, we get a massive jackknife powerbomb to the mat. Sean is out. Diesel, because he's already halfway to the top of the cage, he starts climbing over the cage and he's climbing down, at which point Sean is crawling to the door and Sid opens the door for him. He's beckoning him to come. Maybe he's even reaching and trying to drag him out. But Diesel hits the floor. The crowd go crazy. The The bell rings. The ref, you know, the music starts and Sid sees... That there's something to say really quick. Sid sees multiple times. <laughs> Sid, Sid sees that Diesel has won. Sean is halfway out of the cage, and Diesel takes one look at Sean, and he slams that cage door on Sean's head. Slams it on him in disgust, in frustration. 
And as the referee is giving Diesel his title and Diesel's standing in front of the crowd, receiving the cheers, maybe halfway up the walkway, taking the adulation, Sid has walked into the ring and he's power bombing Sean and he's, he's taking it out on Sean, at which point Diesel returns to the ring. He and Sid maybe battle for a moment. Sid bails from the ring. Um, Sid is, um, Sid is furious. Sean, three quarters beaten up, has seen that Diesel's made the save and Diesel picks him up and, and, and they handshake, they hug, they, they whatever, but we get our reconciliation there at the end of the pay per view. But Sid is, in the in the aisle way, seething and pointing at Diesel like, you're mine, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for both of you. And before the pay-per-view goes off the air, Ted DiBiase shows up at the side of Ted, at the side of Sid. And he just pats him on the shoulder, maybe gently pats him on the chest, turns him and says, come with me, we'll get them later. And, and so we go off the air with Diesel celebrating. Sean has been given his babyface turn, but we've still had our match. Sid is now in the corporate corporation. The new member has been revealed at the end of the night. Sid and Sean can have a match. Um, they can build to a little feud between those two, and we know that those two can work well. And I think that saves us the horror of Diesel-Sid title matches. And Diesel is going to be feuding with Razor Ramon. And I think we've got a really good building block for the future direction of the company. Well, yours is better than mine. I will say that. <laughs> I will say this. I love that you even found a – you forced your narrative to force Diesel to find a way to tie in the name in your house to the main event because the cage is in your house, which is the same thing that I did in mine. Well, not the same, but, but I also love – how you have uh, tried to get the pivot to be Sid and Sean as opposed to Diesel and Sean, because that is the exact same thing that I wanted to accomplish. So it makes me think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, wait, you want to, no, I wanted, you want to pivot to Sean and Sid, right? Yes, that's the same thing I want to do. You want to make Diesel feud with Razor, because my ultimate goal is to get Diesel and Sid away from one another as well. That's so funny. But yours is much better than mine. I love seeing the Shawn Michaels turn happen organically with Diesel because of it. It's a, it's a much better thing. It's a much bigger catharsis, too, to get to see them beat the hell out of each other and then come back and embrace. It's like the curtain. It's like what the curtain call was. It's like we get to have our own, like, in-storyline version of it. And I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think, like I said, we, we know that Vince wanted to turn Shawn face, and he did it the night and and. and You've got the elements that existed in, 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 in our earth. The whole thing was Sid and Sean and Sid have a bit of a, you know, a back and forth. Sid powerbomb Sean and Diesel saves him. And all of a sudden, Diesel and Sean are friends again. Well, I mean, that element of the storyline, you're going to get one way or the other. You may as well do it in, on a bigger stage. And, and, and so long as we can avoid Sid facing Diesel, I think you know, you're creating a better world. So um, I think it, it just, it, it allows them to, to, I think, finish off the Diesel Sid storyline a little bit better um, and then allow them to 
to return to being friends, do the things that they were going to do. You know, Sean can go on and win the IC title and whatever, or he doesn't even need to go straight there because there was the other problem. The reason I think they put Sean in the IC title match so quick was that they didn't, because they had no heels, right. they didn't have anyone for him to face because they they had Sid facing Diesel. Who does Shawn Michaels face as basically the number two baby face now in the company? They don't want to turn Brett heel. They've only just turned Bigelow baby face. What do we do? Oh, let's give Shawn the IC title. That can keep him occupied for a while, which is really what they did. Well, now we can keep him out of the IC title picture because he doesn't need it. He can feud with Sid, finish that off, and then, you know, like I said, Razor's turned heel. At that point, Razor will be finished with Diesel, and he and Sean can have a match when they've, they flip the storyline where Sean is the baby face, Razor is the heel. You can do them as the, the, the flip match from the previous year as well. It, it, it just creates those little storylines down the way. And maybe, maybe... You know, maybe it's one, two, three kid turns on Shawn Michaels uh, later in the year, um, and you get a Shawn Michaels one, two, three kid match. Who knows? No, I like that. I definitely like that. Oh man, that is fantastic. See, now it is, and it's crazy because those things that you've laid out, what they do is they trickle into scenarios down the road, which means you don't get that. Bulldog Diesel match, or maybe if you have to, that's also the pay per view that has Kid HBK. You know what I mean? Um, and it's clear that Sean becomes not only the fan favorite but the work rate favorite, and then goes on to his whatever. Maybe maybe you build to in this world the Sean Diesel rematch at twelve. I don't know. Yeah, look, I mean, you can do you can do all sorts of things. I mean, I, I, my 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 scenario would probably still envisage that in the end. Brett's going to beat Diesel for the title and Sean's going to beat Brett for the title. Um, and they could, they can do it in all sorts of different ways. But I think it's about keeping guys. I think in the long run, I always like that, that Diesel Brett match and that title change. And I think that it, um, allows different dynamics. And then it allows you to go back to that Diesel Sean match when Sean does become champion and Diesel turns heel and you get that, dynamic flipped again and 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 so you know and and like it was in reality diesel beat sean last time can sean beat you 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 just get that that full circle every time everyone likes the those sorts of stories and 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 it works so i i probably keep the 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 title changes the way they end up being although i wouldn't do i wouldn't do the the uh 60 minute iron man with no pinfalls yeah, I no would, doubt. I would probably do a 60-minute Iron Man match where the the pin count is something like seven to six, you know, or or even seven or and then go into overtime. But you want victories, you want you want pinfalls and 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 stuff in that match. But that's that's a that's a different that's a different earth. We're talking about a different earth. Yeah, anyone who's probably listened to anything I've ever recorded can imagine that I cannot stand the Iron Man match because I I lose focus very easily during that match. It's so hard for me to get into personally. Even as a kid, I was like, come on, Sean, just win so I can go to bed. Like, I, I, which <laughs> sounds awful, but I, I, cause I was expecting seven, seven, you know, I was expecting that. That's but that's what it needed to do to engage me as a viewer. So whatever. So it, 
you know, so we don't do an hour-long Ironman. I should probably pivot and flip the script just over to the other side for this main event. But I got to tell you, I love what you put together as a cohesive show. I really do. Well, thank you. So my idea was to create an understanding about what the In Your House brand was going to be. And I know I've said this a couple times over the night, but the reason I'm mentioning that, if I just say what I'm doing, I'm doing a big six-man tag team match, but it's an elimination rules match as well, so it goes a little bit longer and involves more one-on-one interactions with the team members, okay? But I'm doing this to set the stage that what you're getting and what you're putting your money for is a shorter show. It's a lower price point, and so... I'm not giving you a championship match every month, or maybe I do sometimes, but I'm setting the stage that it can be anything. Um, that way you don't expect that every month. And I think the reason you accept, set that expectation to your audience is that they buy in more, that it's not going to be a championship match style month. You see this later with stuff like Buried Alive, um, the Triple Header. Just I know those are different years, but, you know, so that's sort of what I'm going for. So in my reality, Sean still gives Sid the night off and he delivers the powerbomb, but they don't do as severe as an injury angle. Maybe he's gone a couple of weeks. Okay. And after the, the week after he gets the night off, Mr. Bob Backlund comes out just for a random interview segment because he's not really doing much. And he says he's finally found someone that intellectually challenges him and is another positive role model for the youth of America. And he brings out, Miss, well, he calls him Mr. Sid, but he's just Sid. But, you know, the Bob Backlund character is insane, so he calls him Mr. Sid. And Sid says they're going to rule the WWF and the rest of the world completely. Mr. Backlund is going to become president. And since Mr. Bob is going to be the U.S. president, Sid's going to focus on capturing the gold. You know, he says Diesel. Diesel comes out and says, oh, you, you beat up my friend, but Sean's coming back next week. This is our house and their house, but we're coming to invade your house. So there's your stupid house shtick. Uh, just like pointing at the WrestleMania sign. Later that night, Bob Holly's on uh, Bob Holly. Bob Backlund's on commentary during a Razor Ramon trip, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley match. Now the roster I had said Hunter Hearst Helmsley was on roster at this time. Are you aware if that's actually the case? He he certainly um, he was certainly on the roster. Um, I was um, I was actually looking through things um, in the in the lead up to our, in our prep, and he appeared um, certainly appeared on a superstars taping um, before. Um, I'm pretty certain it was before they did the. Um, yeah, he's on. He's actually on. He's on the wrestling challenge taping before the first in your house. So he's on the roster. And okay. it started to appear on television. So maybe we just say the heck with it and Triple H or I, I want to, I'd call him Triple H only out of, um, uh, happen, you know, that, that's my, that's the term I'm used to. I know he's Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but maybe we have it. It's Hunter Hearst Helmsley's debut on Raw during that taping cycle and Razor's his first match and, uh, you know, they're on the outside fighting and Bob Backlund's on commentary to get over his new alliance with Sid, but, Maybe he says something like, oh, Razor's cheating, and Razor hears him, and Razor's like, hey, man, you know, gets in his face. This allows the referee to be distracted and tell Bob Backlund he needs to get out of here if he's going to mess with the match. And Triple H uses his little scepter gimmick that he had early in his career and hits Razor and gets the one, two, three, and, you know, huge upset in his debut match. Now, 
The reason I'm creating this contrived scenario is because there aren't a lot of organic six-man tag configuration setups. So the heels are a hodgepodge of random characters um, that have to have some sort of interlinking for this particular pay-per-view main event. So if it's not clear, here's the match. Diesel, Shawn Michaels, who comes back maybe on the go-home show, and Razor Ramon against Sid, Mr. Bob Backlund, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the Elimination Styles rule match. The, the cornerstone of the match involves Shawn and Sid finally getting together and going at it in the ring for a little bit to give us a teaser. They both get counted out, okay? So that allows them to be eliminated without doing anything or, you know, giving away the what the key selling point before we actually have to sell it. Razor Ramon gets DQ'd because Triple or Hunter Hearst Helmsley is trying to bring in a chair and Razor takes it and maybe, you know, hits him with it or bumps into him as whatever. It's a cheap DQ. Yeah, the, 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 old, the old stupid baby face, uh, the old stupid baby face trick of, you know, oh, they brought the chair in, but I use it and I get disqualified and, and it makes him look stupid, like, which we see that all the time. Right. And, and again, I just, you know, it's I hate to do it at the expense of Razor, but you know, the, the feud, the, you know, we get three feuds that come out of this, basically. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley tries to put Diesel in the pedigree, and then Triple H, Hunter Hearst is a brand new character here, so we need to get him out here, and we need to make it clear that he's not, that this is sort of like a, a one-time shine, or just, you're lucky you got this far in your first debut. Uh, but he reverses the pedigree and just maybe, like, slams backwards, and, like, doesn't even do his finish, and just pins Hunter with something like that. Plus, uh, side note, the clicks all working together. Uh, yeah, they love it. They're going to work hard for one another and make the, one another look good. And the, the whole gag of the match is Backlund's not been in. He finally comes in and gets face-to-face with Diesel, and they literally just redo their match from Madison Square Garden. And Diesel's the sole survivor, if you want to use a term. And, you know, we've had so much fun in your house. You know, I mean, it's, it's just because I think that, again, I, I, I love doing the fantasy stuff. Uh, I wanted to – I had to book Vince McMahon's In Your House in my head, but I wanted to make it better. So that's that's what I've tried to – I mean, you can see it, right? You can hear Vince McMahon, oh, oh my goodness, you know. What a and, night. What a, what a great night we've had. Right, right. That's the thing because I can't get past that they weren't willing to make these choices that were easily right in front of them. So I've got to justify the choices they made, but try to make it the best that I can. But, you know, Diesel stands strong and, you know, the baby faces all come back and maybe we get all three of their pyros in some cool way. And the theme songs change every minute and they're just like trying to outpost one another. It's, I mean, it's 1995. You're not going to get beer drinking. I mean, you know, the, the, the stunt, you know, you can't do that. So it's a 1995 version of Happy Go Lucky, Razor Ramon, the Heartbreak Kid, and Big Smile and Diesel celebrating. Look, I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to this storyline. I mean, as we, as we said at the beginning, one of the issues that you've got with 95 is just the, the lack of heels, the, the lack of upper end heels that can, that can be utilized. And, Bringing Hunter in in maybe a more prominent role than than just the let's start at the bottom and work our way up that that can work when when you if you change the way they debut. So I was looking up. He debuted at the um at the end of April on Superstars. Thirtieth uh, of April was his first event. So he's technically debuted one way or the other a couple of weeks before this 
this show. So you could use Raw for a couple of weeks to build Hunter up as he's just come straight in. Maybe he does the, 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 the you know, that, that I'm just going straight after you, Razor. You know, you, you, you're a low life. You're a, you're not in my class of person. I mean, Razor, Razor, Razor debuted targeting Macho Man. So yeah. why can't Hunter could debut targeting Razor? It, 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 if you work that into the way you create the, the start of the story, it, it, it's acceptable and believable. Um, you, you've got there. I think what I really like is the use of, of Bob Backlund. <laughs> And no, and 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 Joe, but I, I think about it. There is there is some real validity here because even in the build up, Bob could do the whole. Backlund could be the whole. I never got my rematch. Yeah. You you beat me, and maybe even the whole. You know, because it happened so quick, it wasn't even a match. You stole my title. I I, I didn't agree to wrestle you. I never signed to wrestle you, um, and I never got my rematch. And you know, I'm going to prove myself, and then I'm going to get my title back, and 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 the world will be, you know, crazy Bob Backlund's, you know, could be saying all sorts of weird things, and I love how you're tied off by he loses the exact same way, you know, he finally gets in the ring and gets beaten immediately, the same way that it, almost like Diesel finishes off with, I did it once, I'll do it again, and he does, and yeah. I think I think that storytelling element would work, um, it would well, certainly work. You know, this I've been covering this the the Obi Wan Kenobi show over in the Aqua Cave since it debuted, which is a podcast feed you can find if you search cheap plug for myself. Sorry, I had to work one of them in. But you know, in popular culture, Anakin Skywalker has been getting his make good from popular culture. I've, I this is my way of giving Bob Backlund his uh, a storyline closure with Diesel, and I'm glad you picked up on that. Plus, I love the idea that Bob Backlund finally found the only guy in the company who's as intelligent as him, and it's Sid. Like they they fit yeah. the same way, you know. Uh, and it, and I don't and I I don't do that to make fun of the Sid character. I make it to be like Bob Backlund absolutely, absolutely believes that Sid has been wronged because he tried to help a man and a man rejected him, and that's not what America is. We help each other because you know he's doing his thing where he's. I mean, hey, I'm no I'm not a, I'm not a writer, but I think these guys make it work. Yeah, no, I think I think I think it could work. I think it would be a fun thing to see, and like you said, it brings a different element to this shorter pay per view. It's 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 a tag match. It's a it's it's not a title shot. When you don't have a title shot, you need you need a a, a storyline that's going to be intriguing. A new guy challenging one of your top stars that that that's intriguing. That's what they did with Razor. Um, when he debuted, and um, and and Bob Backlund being this crazy guy, thinking he's still at the top of the game when he's no longer there. Um, you know, I'm picturing him. I haven't lost a match since I won that world title, even though we'd just seen him give up against Bret Hart at WrestleMania. Like you, you could just bring that crazy element. He's so deluded, he doesn't even realise he's 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 lost. It would make it fun. Absolutely, and he he thinks that. He somewhat has control over Sid, but he actually doesn't. And you don't make Sid look stupid. And then, of course, Sid and Sean uh, go off to do their thing, maybe main event of July pay-per-view or whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, it keeps Diesel away from Sid because you would think the natural organics are, if you do the full breakup or power bombs that they do on Raw, it's like the immediate program is Diesel and Sid. But this is a way to make it so, you know, Bob's sort of the one who's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get you a title shot. 
you know, he's really planning his own title redemption, you know, whatever. Uh, but it keeps Sid away from Diesel. It makes it look like that's going to be the thing, but it's clear as the match starts. Sid and Sean is the thing. Diesel and Bob was never a thing, and Triple H and Hunter could be a thing. Yeah. yeah. So. No, absolutely. Well, I feel like, you know, I've been in your house all night. You didn't even offer me some cookies. So this, unfortunately, is where the portal has to close because they're no long, we're no longer allowed in the house. I can't do these house things organically. They're not even funny. Dave, punch me the next time I start trying to do in-your-house stuff. Maybe. That's all right. Just, just, I'm just going to slam the door on my way out. I'm going to lock it and take the keys with me. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, this was a hell of a lot of fun and uh, was a fun starting point to the Multiverse of Fabulousness sort of new direction where we're coming at it from multiple perspectives finally because it is a multiverse. And I think we're going to, you know, perhaps try to stay in this lane a little bit more, maybe fantasy book some shows or, or look at pivotal moments in history and see how they could be twisted and turned differently. You know, maybe with an occasional romp to somewhere crazy like we did in the last episode, uh, with which I guess, no, I guess the last episode was a rebooking because it hasn't aired. Actually, I think it just aired tonight. Spoiler alert for we're not recording this the day you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> where I, I rebooked the WCW reboot, but the one before that was like with Jenny where we talked about the Green Lantern cores and wrestlers and stuff like that, which is fun. But I think that. You know, it's a little bit more organic to talk about stuff like this. So I had a hell of a lot of fun. I hope you did too. I had I had a great time. I really appreciated being uh, being given the opportunity to join you. It's been it's been an absolute blast. And uh, look, I look forward to maybe being invited back in the future. Oh, absolutely, back in the future. And hey, on the way out, I'm going to give a cheap plug. We talked about Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, so much it made me think of. Uh, uh, Aaron George's new podcast series, The Wrestler That Was, coming out of the year that was. Um, I've listened to, the, at the time of this recording, there's been Batista, Jake the Snake, and Razor Ramon. It's such a fun way to look at these guys and really gauge their performances in a vacuum, um, which is what you do when you, you know, look at a film and it's like, oh, well, this is the movie that, uh, you know, Brad Pitt won Best Actor for. I don't know if that's even happening. Just thought of Brad Pitt when I said that. But, you know, are these guys worthy of their praise based on their individual performances, which gives a nice aspect and a twist to it. But it's still, of course, is about wrestling. I love it. And, uh, you know, this being the year that we lost Scott Hall, I wanted to give it a shout out. No, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy Aaron's um, wrestler that was. And I'll, 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 I'll double down on that on that plug and encourage everyone to, if you haven't heard him yet, to, to take time and sit and listen to him. Aaron's... One, you know, Aaron's another one of those guys who can um, do a solo podcast and really keep you engaged the whole way. Absolutely. And, hey, don't forget, before you come back into the multiverse of fabulousness, re-watch Attack of the Clones and find Mrs. Hall. All right? We are on the hunt. We are looking. We're going to keep our eyes peeled, and she's going to be all over Twitter as our new favorite <laughs> star. Does she have a Star Wars name? Like, no, she never got a character name, and I'm I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I was into the 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 customizable card game and the and the the extended universe books and all that. Then sure. she she never had a card, and she never had a story, and she never popped up in any of those. So yeah, well, I'll call her. I'll call her. Um, she can be. I mean, she's she's my princess. So it's queen. We can't. Now we got we got Queen Armadale. We got Princess Leia. So. So, so the Empress 
Empress Beautification. Wow, and I tell you what, future episode where we get her to that bar. Why is she in the bar in Attack of the Clones? We're going to get from her birth all the way to the bar and what happens after. We can do it. We can make it happen. But, folks, thanks so much for coming in to the Multiverse of Fabulousness. I guess that uh, we will see you the next time that uh, the clones attack. I guess we'll leave with something like that. I can't help but be blown away by this fact. So we'll see you when the clones attack.